Hey Duncan, thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for arranging these kind of backstage passes to Westworld, man. I love seeing how all this stuff works. Listen, it is my pleasure and honor to have been doing this podcast with you so long. The least I could do for my best friend, the hardest working podcast out there, is you know, is give you some R and R time behind the scenes, watching the belly of the beast, how things work. Well, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, they, they got a tour guide. There's the audio thing. Look at all like they got hosts all over the place. Yes. Truly, Duncan, this is one of the coolest things we've ever done. Yeah, I think. Yeah, not only is this season proven to be amazing, but everything that you've said would happen on the show has happened. Bo, everything. I mean, I'm so off the ball with everything. Man, you're awesome. You know, it's nice to hear you say that. Honestly, uh, hey, there's a door here that everybody's ignoring. This looks cool. Duncan, you keep going. One sec. I'm going to see what's behind this door. Oh my god. It's like one of them Papadellos rooms. Only, oh my god, they made a host Duncan. No, no, Bo, Bo, is that you? No, I'm not a host, I'm Duncan. I mean, it's so lifelike. It's incredible. No, Bo, Bo, I'm Duncan. Where have you, how long have I been in here? What are you talking about? We, I was just with you a second ago. No, I, I, we we came here. We did season one of Westworld. I walked into the wrong room, and they put me in this room, and I've been here for about a year and a half. Oh my God! I. Are you telling me you're not the guy that I recorded all that Twin Peaks stuff with? You did Twin Peaks without me? Oh, yeah, Duncan. Let me tell you, it was amazing. Like, we started doing all these crazy voices, and things got weird, man. But, I mean, that blows my mind. That wasn't you? Then who who did I do all that stuff with? It's Host Duncan. Host Duncan, you say? Hmm... Bo, you need to get me out of here. I need to be free. You can't do this show, this show without me. Well, uh, that's debatable. But, you know, I, I. how do I know that you're the real Duncan and the guy upstairs is the host Duncan? What if you're trying to use your host fucking Jedi mind tricks on me? Bo, you're a cunt. That does sound like Duncan. Drop it! Duncan and both come correct. Hey everyone, welcome back to Duncan and Bo Go to Westworld, a tiny little division of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which I have now repeated, and therefore that makes it a thing we say at the beginning of the show. As always, I am joined... Why are you fucking up our intro? Because you're going to forget next week you won't see it. And people will be like, I thought that was a thing they did. You don't know that. Uh, you don't know me. <laughs> yeah, you don't know my life. Uh, th- that voice of contempt you hear is Duncan McLeish. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Bo. Uh, we are at the halfway mark. Ooh, halfway already through Westworld. I don't know about you, but this season is flying in. It's flying in because we're having too much of a good time. And, you know, good times mean the time moves quicker, uh, which is which is saddening me slightly because I kind of want this season to last forever, which means I want it to be bad subconsciously. And I'm not getting my way. I am not sure it? I followed all of that, but I, I think I agree with some of it. 
Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I think this season has been great. I You said last week that mm-hmm. the last week's episode was one of the best episodes that Westworld ever did. Uh, which, in yes, fairness, they've only done 15 episodes, so let's not get crazy. But... <laughs> In the, in the grand scheme of things. But uh, I I don't know. I, I mean, I really enjoyed last week's episode. I thought it was great. However, this episode, Duncan, fucking, it it, <laughs> it plopped into my lap and stunk, stuck its tongue in my ear. <laughs> and would not be denied, Duncan. And the pleasure yeah. just it exploded <laughs> from there. I don't know why this got yeah. so sexy. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'll, I'll say, I will say this, that if this episode had a theme riff, it would go, bounty, bounty, bow. It's fucking metal as fuck. Like this, like, yeah, I, if we're, if we're going to be honest and put our cards on the table, I preferred this, week epi- this week's episode to the previous week's episode for completely different reasons. I thought last week's episode had a lot of soul, had a lot of heart, had a lot of sinister intent from characters and we really kind of went through that growth of the the william character and you know the, all, all the events that have shaped him into the maniacal man in black that we have today this episode just flat out rocks this one's like that remember when we teased that thing with the samurai and you were like this is the coolest thing ever well you know a good 50 percent of this episode is going to be set in shogun world Strap yourself in because everything you see will make you go, oh, that Westworld seemed pretty cool until I saw this. <laughs> yeah, it, it does sort of grab you by the lapels in this episode and was just like, you are not prepared. <laughs> like, like if this episode started with somebody screaming, Mortal Kombat! <laughs> eh, 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 I would... It might as well. Oh, just like the, what I found really quickly. Well, obviously, we'll get into so much more detail. But what I found really, really quickly is this: the stuff that I think Westworld, well, the creators of Westworld, are really trying to get me to be solely interested on, and the rest of the sub stories is not the case. Like I found myself I've, over the last couple of weeks, I've totally gravitated towards the Maeve story, which I think is the one that I'm really, really into. Like, all the choices there feel really interesting to me. Uh, all the character development, all the things that are happening there um, are, are are super interesting. Um, and the Dolores stuff, well, it's still, you know, it's still powering through and all the rest. Like, when I go over there, I'm, I kind of feel like, oh, right, you're, right, we're kind of, we're building up this kind of mythical villainess sort of thing, right? I can right, we're following her little journey along, kinda of like what we did with William last last season. But then we go back to the Maeve stuff and I'm just like, oh, you do me so dirty, Maeve. Keep going. Um so it's really, really weird. I, I think it's quite interesting the way they have set up the stories moving forward in these episodes and that what we're getting is one week we're predominantly getting some uh Bernard stuff and William stuff. Uh, kind of to to offset each other, you know. You're going to have that really action packed stuff. You're going to have that bit more heavier content, and then they're kind of doing the same on the you know the subsequent episode where we're getting that you know slightly more heavier content from the Dolores story and just the most bitching story we made. So the show this season has been 
it, it kind of feels like everything in season one was just uh, just kind of just saying, hey, come on, right? You now live in a world where this sort of thing happens. Everything might not be as you, you think it is. Your eyes may deceive you. Get comfortable. Have a little seat here. Have a little seat here. You, you comfortable now? Right, we're going to finish with this epic closing episode. And we're going to leave you waiting for a year, just pining, a year and a half, just pining after more content. And when we come back, we're literally going to whip out our dirty dick and just slap you in the face with it. Just like back and forth and back and forth and try and put up a nostril and then just hit you in the ear with it. Um, it's just, it's it's a weird pleasure <laughs> to watch. Like some of the stuff that's happened, I'm like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure I should be emotionally invested with the humans right now but I ain't I'm like totally like yeah just like give me more power yeah <laughs> <Make her> Neo. <laughs> yeah fuck those guys yeah oh god the, the the name Neo it just flows through my notes it is oh yeah 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 it, she she like yeah, there's, 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 well there's a bit that there, weirdly enough my brain notes that I have books on ranting down uh, Neo is there and also Fulci <laughs> which I can't wait to talk about <laughs> yeah all right, all right. So before we get into that stuff, that, that's a nice little tease. Like obviously, we really dug uh, the the new uh, episode. But before we mm-hmm. we dive into what made it so fucking rocking, um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, as is our tradition, what we watched recently, both good and bad. Always, we like to start with you, Duncan, because you watch uh, far more interesting things than do I. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm look, man. Like we don't compliment each other much on this show. Take it where you can get it. Yeah, but then, <laughs> but then I will inevitably say something, and everyone will just be like, "That's not a good movie, Duncan." <laughs> so I'm like, it's a great movie. Everyone should watch it because that's my impression of myself. Because that's how I think I talk. Shut the fuck up and do the segment, Duncan. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm kicking us off here, yeah. My my, my good and bad. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, like I, I was away for the weekend, so I didn't get as much watching as I kind of hoped I would. Uh, however, I did binge watch that season four of Ray Donovan. Woo! That is some good TV. That is that's probably the best season I've seen thus far, and um, it, it was really, really, really good. There was a whole hell of a lot of. Um, Darker content, a bit more of the Russian mafia, tons of things going on. Uh, but once again, very much like a lot of those Showtime seasons, they tie it all back in at the end. So each season really is its like its own kind of story arc, um, and it was it was brilliant. That show continues to to delight and entertain me. I've just started season five, which is is not started as strong. I'm not entirely sure what they're doing with it yet. Um, but I'm only like three episodes in, but yeah, season four thus far uh, has been the pinnacle of that TV show, and I, I, once again, I, I can't recommend that enough. It's, a, it's an excellent um, TV show where they just seem to keep bringing in really interesting actors and actresses to play strange uh, and at times head scratching roles, but it just adds to to what we're seeing. The the latest season they've just introduced Susan Sarandon, so. I'm like, she's in this? <laughs> she does TV? Yeah, well, no, I she did that... Uh, oh, what was the movie she... Or not movie, but show she did with Jessica Lange. Um, oh, yeah, the... Rival? Uh, something like that? Yeah, it was done by Ryan Murphy, wasn't it? Yeah, and now I can't think of uh, the name of it. But yeah, it was with, with uh, 
them as uh, the aging starlets, and I am totally blanking on every detail of that series all of a sudden. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're... Well, she's well. She must have like in recent times. She must start like a lot of kind of E-list stars have started doing making that transition over, getting some of that you know some of that TV time behind them. But yeah, it's, it, you know, it's it's been it's been a, a, a pretty much an unashamed pure joy of late. I've really really enjoyed it. There is one more thing I want to talk about, which will appeal to your well, probably won't appeal to your sense of humor, but in me. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I'm trying to remember the name, uh, which like you've your um, your kind of brain blank thing has just switched over to me. Uh, so there's a cartoon on Netflix, um, and that's it there. Um, I I get Suko. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but it's it's one of those things that's kind of been around the periphery of shit I've almost watched because I've heard it's really funny. It's fucking amazing, is what it is. Um, it's a very, very, very clever cartoon. Like to the point where I'm like, that, there is like, like from a from a kid's point of view, my daughter can watch it, even though there is some swearing in it. It's usually done within the metal songs, uh, and it's done like basically it's like a lot of death metal and black metal that plays like small clippets in karaoke rooms, um, and the lyrics have swearing and stuff. But you know the the voices are are doing a range of vocals which are difficult if you're a child to understand um but it, it is very 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 well written and weirdly um weirdly feminist like <laughs> in a way where it really kind of promotes this idea of um women's place in japan um just how society in general is geared to that kind of self-conscious body shaming stereotype that's flung against women that's not flung against men um, and all that stuff's happening and it's very 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 well played and then in the middle you've got this like kind of repressed timid little asian office worker who her her inner rage is, is vented out doing metal karaoke um it's fucking brilliant. It's done by Sanrio Puro, who does Hello Kitty. Um, really? So like okay. a big anime. Yeah, they're the, the big animator in Japan. Um, interestingly enough, I have been to Sanrio Puro land in Tokyo. <laughs> Me and my wife went there in 2009. And um, it's for kids. It's like for small, small kids. So my wife was excited to go on all the kind of roller coasters and stuff like that and the, like unlike most places where there's a, a height limit denoting you need to be over a certain height to get in there was a height limit going down uh, and you know it was like it was maybe our knee and down like <laughs> to be to get on something um but yeah it's, it's it's slickly animated it's wickedly funny um the 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 music's kind of bitching and it's an easy watch each episode's like about 20 minutes long um, and I binged the whole season, and yeah, I, I once again, I think you will have a lot of fun with that one. You don't need to pay full attention to it; you can have it playing in the background, um, and it's just like an easy, easy, easy watch. And it marries up a couple of things that you have an interest in. So, because we all know that you're a massive black metal fan, well, that's true. Many pictures of you rocking the corpse paint. 
Um, As we record <laughs> this, it is World Goth Day, so... Uh, it is indeed, it is indeed. Uh, happy Goth Day, Goths. Um, yeah, throw so on yeah. your Echo and the Bunnymen records. <laughs> Get some black lace and potentially cut yourself. Yep. In that order, um, so, so yeah, that that's my that's my good, my bad. Is there's no, I am not reinventing the wheel here and saying this right, <laughs> but like I, at all, this is one that is well known and uh, well understood as a bad movie. However, I'm going to flip this and say it's bad, but fucking awesome. Um, So I'm going to make a very special guest appearance on a brand new Scottish podcast um, this week. I'm recording with them tomorrow, actually. Uh, And their podcast is called um, Strong Language and Violent Scenes. And basically their whole theme is to do what I used to do on the Midnight Horror Show many moons ago. So they do, like, defence of bad movies, but they do defence of movies which are seen as being bad, but you love them. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to be on. I said, of course. Any chance to appear on a new podcast, give them a bit of a <laughs> a bump in numbers or something. A rub and pug, sure. That. Yep. Uh, they asked me what I wanted to discuss, and I sent them a list of loads of movies, like tons of movies, everything from like, like all the, all the stuff that I know, I'll, most people would say are bad movies that I love. Uh, everything from something like Hellraiser, Inferno, and Blair Witch Two, uh, you know, kind of right through to the movie that I kind of settled on because one of them has never seen it, and that is Rawhead Rex, which I have literally just finished watching before sitting down here in that shiny 4K restoration they did. I now own two 4K restorations of Rawhead Rex. One put out by Kino, I think it was, um, in the States, and one just recently put out by Arrow Video in the UK. So let that sink in of the multitude of genre films out there that you're desperate to see get even a Blu-ray release. Sit there and bask in the knowledge that Rawhead Rex has two 4K restorations. (laughs) Right, it is the cinematic equivalent of polishing a turd. Yeah, but it's it's that right on. I mean, I'm I'm on your side. I love Rawhead Rex too, but yeah, but as a as a a poorly put together movie, like a poorly put together movie. But that's its charm. It's charming all the things... I think it's charm is all the things it does wrong and all the things that you're like, really? <laughs> of all the things you could do, that's what you settled on. <laughs> you know, of, of all the, the all the wardrobe choices that you could have picked, that's what you went with. Um, Lots of, of comfy scenes, sweaters in that movie. <laughs> of all the scenes that we could maybe, I don't know, have adjusted, like a priest getting pissed on, you stuck with that. <laughs> you did, like, right into the storm. Um, the only thing, like, one of the... Because like, it's, mo- it's a movie that Clive Barker... The, the reason we have Hellraiser, right, as a movie directed by Clive Barker and all his majesty, is because of Rawhead Rex. Rawhead Rex came out the year before. Uh, Clive Barker foolishly signed off on this guy who had done a previous Barker adaptation but uh, signed off on this guy doing, you know, the work for Rawhead Rex, which, if you've ever read the short story, is about a giant penis monster that is actually a dick. It's a huge fucking pagan dick that kills people, right? And that was taken and then someone adapts it and then Clive Barker sat there and went, what have they done to my beautiful work? And I'm like, you wrote about a giant 
dick. <laughs> it's like, come on, Clive, let's 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 be serious here. Right? I'm going to say that their artistic choice to make it a cockeyed fucking guar looking monster was probably a good idea. I don't know if I could stomach an hour and thirty minutes of a giant waddling veiny member, you know, killing people. Who, <laughs> who is that bit. ultimately killed by a vagina rock? Yeah, a vagina rock, yeah. Like, because, because, as you know... Well, it's, it's not even that he's killed by a, a, a vagina mod, mod, uh, rock. He is aged, the life to, the life is, the life force is sucked out in Bo, which is what I've always said, pussy will age you. <laughs> Just, I will age you, Bo. will age you horribly. That's why um, I look so young. Uh, and virginal, <laughs> sucker. So my my wedding will be in white. I just finished watching it again and I was like, yeah, I'm comfortable on my choice. It's a fucking awesome movie. But it's terrible. I don't want to, like, if it was done on a technical, if I was grading on a technical level, it would score low. If I'm grading on that, how much fun is it to sit and watch this movie? It's it's up there, man. It's up there in the top echelons of fun fucking movies. Just so, so much fun. So that's my bad. I will segue because I realise I took the, the coward's way out. One more bad movie, which definitely Meanbo won't be doing that. Oh, you know, it's really bad, but we love it. Uh, while I was away for my weekend, staying away in a, a cabin up in the Highlands of Scotland, um, I did take a box set with me of the Friday the 13th movies. And um, I, I put it out, you know, anyone could pick anyone because most of the people there had not seen them all. And um, the one they settled on, against my better judgment, against my warnings, my, no, abort the mission, <laughs> was a little, a little movie called Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Ugh, that is Woo! truly the shittiest of the lot. Like, I can find good things about almost any of them. I think that's almost cover to cover a shitty movie. Uh, the only thing that's good about that movie, the only thing that's good about that movie is the Metropolis song uh, the uh, darkest things in the night or whatever it is that plays at the beginning and the end of that movie so it's bookended by a bitchin' hair metal song and then it's just uh, what are we doing here people all the way right through that movie yeah. all the way right through it and some people will be like well but he punched that dude's head right off it's like yeah but it's one of the shittiest effects in the movie too <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I get more excited about him walking out the subway tunnel in Times Square and kicking the boombox than I do about the head punch. Yeah, that's and and that's the big cock tease of that movie is it's called Jason mm-hmm. Takes Manhattan and he doesn't show up in New York to the last what twenty minutes of the movie. Last twenty minutes and I think there's maybe three shots of Jason actually in New York and the rest is done clearly clearly in canada um <laughs> yeah you know the new york of the north <laughs> so yeah so um and i could see them kind of looking at me as if to say is this is this is this this franchise that you keep telling us about is this what the movie's like so when it finished bo i re-educated them with some motherfucking part four Boom. sure and every, everyone loved part four and rightly so yeah, well, so. it's the best of the series. Like, like you gave them the extremes. Like, yeah, here's the worst the sh- one, <laughs> and here's the best one. 
Now, if yeah. you want to continue through the box set, everything else is going to fall in between these. <laughs> yeah, different shades. Let's try to push part five because I do have a ridiculous amount of love for that movie. Um, it's another one that doesn't really make any sense, but is a whole hell of a lot of fun to watch. Um, but yeah, so that was that was my time. Bo, you told me before we started recording, you have some good and bad, sir. Lay it on me, daddy. I, I do. I got a couple of... Uh, I, I got a good one that you've seen, and I'll, I'll just jump into that right Ooh. now, which is I caught up with Deadpool 2. Yeah. And awesome. oh, while I don't... I don't agree with you in that it's better than the first. I tend to like the first one a little bit more, mm-hmm. but just because I've seen it a bunch of times and maybe it's you know a bit of familiarity there. Uh, and also, I felt like the first one had a, had a bit more heart to it, even though this isn't yeah. without that. But they're just like the relationship between him and Vanessa. I, it, it spoke to me a little bit, um, not mm-hmm. just because of the pegging, but just in general. Uh, of of finding that kind of perfectly crazy person for you sort of thing, mm-hmm. and I I, th- I think that's a nice message. And this one has heart. I mean, that's true, but it it sort of goes down the road of like you've got to find the family that fits you sort of thing. And yeah. um, but that being said, my my minor quibbles aside, I think it's funnier than the first one. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and there were a number of uh, a number of gags in that movie. That I think are just, I mean, they flatten me in the theater. And I can't <laughs> wait until I can get this movie at home so I can go through it more. Mm-hmm. Like, I, cause I was kind of messaging you about this. And one thing I noticed in the credits was like they credit the movie Definitely Maybe, which is this kind of dopey Ryan Reynolds romantic comedy. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, I don't remember seeing a reference to that in the movie, but it's obviously there. And yeah. and I'm looking for because the movie is so packed with like one-liners and visual gags and all this little texture in the background. Uh, I'm really excited to see it again. I thought it was, you know, again people who who complain about you know Marvel fatigue and 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 superhero fatigue and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, but the movies are still good. You know, <laughs> like I'm yeah. enjoying my time with them. And yeah, I think. These are the ones that I've, I've said that before. These are the ones that are more cared to me. I just I can't be bothered with that whole like the end of the world or trying to save the world and all that sort of stuff. That I, I think it works for me better on a macro level. Um, so when I'm looking at something like like a Deadpool, it's not the end of the world and a Deadpool. You know what I mean? Or if I'm watching an Ant Man, it's not the end of the world when watching something like an Atman, and if it's Guardians of the Galaxy, it's so far removed from Earth that it doesn't feel like, you know, the Earth's going to be destroyed, you know, and, and the way they set them up is is different than the other ones, which have to, on some level, be a bit more serious, and they have to, you know, kind of conform a bit more to a, a different... That's why I, I, I like that previous Thor movie as well, and that I thought, you know, that's you know, th- there's enough going on in here to make me enjoy that movie because it almost separates it from, you know, the, the very well established and you know, uh, you've got to see a hugely successful formula of the other movies. Um, the ones that tend to go a bit goofier, or the ones that tend to take themselves slightly less serious, are the ones that I that that I want to get behind because to me, like, if I'm going to see a fantastical movie. Um, 
I, I want it to be fantastical, and sometimes that means losing that sense of of jeopardy in the world, if you know what I mean. I think those. I think that's why I gravitate maybe more towards those ones and other ones. I thought Deadpool two was I, I, the my comparison that I said to you about the volume of jokes is I think it is the the anchorman of superhero movies and that I genuinely think I could probably rewatch it five or six times and still be picking out jokes and be laughing at completely different bits. I thought it was, it was that densely packed with, you know, with, with, with genuine comedy and as, as I mean, as a vehicle for Ryan Reynolds, clearly who, who's always been, I've always thought he's been a very, very, very funny guy. Um, he's been some of my favorite comedies, are Ryan Reynolds comedies. Um, so he's always been that way. I think he, and you could, uh, from what I'm hearing, his mental health is not particularly healthy at the moment and that he is, he's becoming a bit of a Jim Carrey. He's kind of embodied the, the Deadpool thing to the extent that he actually has been doing a lot of his interviews dressed as Deadpool because <clears throat> he says it's easier to answer them as a, character than it is to answer them himself and talk about various persons. You know, that's, I, but I, I said it before, I think the slickness of that marketing, that like the, I think they even said it done, it done ridiculous business. It, it broke the record, I think maybe previously set by itself for um, opening weekend of an R-rated movie. It, it actually, like it, it didn't actually. I, I was looking at the Did numbers just as we were talking. Yeah, it, it, it didn't break its own record, even though it still made in its opening weekend like 300 million worldwide. So it's oh, doing it's fine. Like, oh. <laughs> it's like just a ridiculous amount of money. You know, to, to make on a like a like a movie, which you know you are by making it R rated, you're instantly segregating a, a large portion of what makes popular cinema goers the ones that prop up a lot of your Marvel movies, for instance, and the ones that will make the new Jurassic Park movie fucking huge <clears throat> are are you know the younger viewers, the kind of you know what ten to. 16 year old uh, demographic is massive um, and you know it, it, you're shunning that oh, obviously people can find a way around that bo, uh, but you're shunning a lot of that by focusing down that road and you might think on some level I mean they, they made so much money the last time there was no one saying you know this is going to be a really risky decision to make our raid you know it's tried and tested before so you know they're, they were kind of safe and off the back of that you got an R rated Wolverine movie which done very well um, and is mercifully you know, mocked in Deadpool too. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I kind of love that though. Um, and then you've got um, that new—is it the New Mutants thing that's coming? Yeah, this year as well, or is it next year? I can't, uh, remember. I can't Which, remember. And there's the Dark Phoenix thing that's around the corner as well. Yeah, so like things that are moving towards like darker content but not like dc darker content where it's still meant for kids yeah everything's just so there is that line in deadpool as well it's like oh you're so dark just now, like the cable is like, oh, it's just so dark you sure you're not a dc you sure like you're, you're not in a dc movie uh which is like accurate i thought josh brolin was brilliant i remember there was a, a couple of kind of sniffles about him being cast in that role because some people wanted like uh, ron perlman originally to be it but i thought he was knowing nothing about cable i thought it was a great character i thought the two of them played really well off each other 
Like Ryan, I would happily watch another Ryan Reynolds, Josh Brolin movie. Uh, put them together as a yeah, as a duo on screen. I'd happily watch that. And I just thought the casting all round was great. I I I thought everyone was the wee kid from um, uh, the Tragedy Girls. No, 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 she's oh, brilliant. Hunt for she's the uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's her name? Yeah, Something he, he Hildebrand. Was, she's great, but yeah, the, she's the, great anyway. Yeah, the kid from uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, he's very funny in this. There, there's yeah. a little bit of his performance in Wilder People in this. Yeah, and I would like, I would love to think that's how he got. Well, he must have got like, picked up on the back of that. And that's a criminally underseen movie. That was one of my favorite movies. Um, last year, year before, uh, I think it was a year before, but yeah, Taika Waititi yeah. just doesn't make bad movies. It turns out he doesn't and, at all. Uh, he, he nails it, and um, yeah, that was a, that was a phenomenal movie. And I'm not just saying that because I have a massive man crush on Sam Neill, one that is like almost inexplicable at this moment. Um, but I, you know, I, I, the fact he was in that, but he that kid was brilliant. He was, he was great in this as well. I think. I think it's I think it's I, I think it's kind of genius level comedy and that it, it, it on on a lot of levels it shouldn't there is so much joke, jokey content in it you should feel exhausted watching it and it doesn't so I think that's brilliant and like I said at the time I think the kind of closing credit sequence that they they swing out with um with him trying to right the wrongs of the past. Is maybe some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. And then after, I like, ah, it was actually howling. I had tears coming down the side of my face um, with laughter because I thought it was so, so funny. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and uh, once again, just a reminder Ryan Reynolds was in that Green Lantern movie and it sucked. Uh, Which <laughs> so he, bad. he owns completely, you know? He, uh, yeah. How many actors do that, Bo? Yeah. Th- and that's what's kind of funny about it is that he not only makes fun of that. Uh, which is terrible, but it's you know that uh, his his role in uh, Wolverine, um, his <laughs> his performances kind of across the board. Yeah, uh, like he's he's very self deprecating, and that's why it's more of a bummer to hear that he's getting a little wackadoo. Uh, yeah, he's he's basically. I think what he said recently is he's he is um, he's openly committed. He's suffering from depression, um, and on this particular tour. But the, what I was going to say is the 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 studio head basically said that you know they're very glad that the movie did as well as it did, but you know pointed out you know <laughs> large neon fingers at Ryan Reynolds and said that the the marketing. That this guy's done in terms of press core uh, has been unprecedented. You know, he's like done everything. He's like done all the additional content, done all the you know all the the, the work this guy's done all over the world, showing up for interviews and just doing what he does has been incredible. And that in itself, I mean, you remember they've been advertising this movie since pretty much the previous movie finished, and the viral marketing for it is genius. You know, the Instagram page that they do, the Facebook content that they do, it's it's never really been out of the, it's never really been out of the consciousness of fans. You know what I mean? There's always been something every other month to remind you that, you know, they're working on a second Deadpool movie. Um, and at this rate, you will get a third Deadpool movie. Oh, I mean, for that's, sure. That's a given now. That's yeah. an absolute 100% given. And um, if it takes a couple of years to arrive, I can't wait for it to, to come. There's one, it's one that I can sit down and just laugh like from start to finish at and just, like, just switch my brain off. 
and uh, it's good to have those movies out there. Yeah, there, there was a scene uh, in the movie that a, a, a very mild spoiler, but there, there's a scene where T.J. Miller's character is being interrogated, and <laughs> I he has the same reaction that I do. Yeah, which is just like, no, no, you don't have to threaten me or anything. I'll tell you everything you need to know. Like you don't, you don't have to put the bullet in the gun and cock it or anything. Just ask me. Just ask me what you need to know. And uh, I thought I thought that was really really solid. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's let's take a, a small step down in quality here and talk uh, about one other film before I get to the shitty one. Uh, uh, uh and, and that is the new Netflix film Cargo. Which is the right? Movie. It's on. Yeah, it's on my queue, but I've not watched it. It's uh, you know, it, this is of course the Martin Freeman zombie film. Uh, it takes place after the zombie apocalypse has begun, and he and his wife and their baby girl are very wisely using a houseboat to get around, mm-hmm. and so that none of none of the zombie folks and whatnot, even though they never use the word zombies, it's always like infected or diggers is the other one they use um, for reasons that are apparent in the film. But uh, so they're using a houseboat to uh, to navigate uh, on their way to a larger area where they can try theoretically try to avoid the spread of this infection. Um, and during the the process of trying to scavenge for some food, the mother uh, it, it dies. Martin Freeman ultimately is bitten as well and they've got one of the things that i like about the movie is that there are like government issued kits for how to deal with this shit that include a wristband kind of watch thing that tells you like once you're infected it's about 48 hours give or take before you turn Mm -hmm. so he's got one of them on so the movie's on a clock i like that and then um the other thing that's included in the in the package is this little handheld uh, switchblade sort of thing where all you got to do, like in, in the event that everything goes wrong, you just put this tube to your head and press a button and it shoots a spike into your skull. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, that's pretty good. And it, it's, a, it's a good movie. Martin Freeman is always good. He's a good actor and I, I like seeing him and stuff. The biggest complaint I have with the film is that it just doesn't do enough to sort of separate itself from other films in the genre. Mm-hmm. And in particular, there is a short film, uh, I don't remember the title, but uh, it was about, it's very much the same thing. It's about a father trying to get his daughter to safety. And so he uh and he's infected and is about to turn into a zombie so he creates this kind of rube goldberg thing that will force him to keep moving even after he's turned with the child on his back and the movie doesn't quite do that but there's something that happens that's so close to what i saw in that short film it made me wonder mm-hmm. like if if those were the same creators and i don't believe they are um, which I, you know, I don't know if it's one of those things of like, Hey, they just both had the same idea or they incorporated this idea into their script after seeing the short film or whatever, but it's as a movie, it's kind of fine. It, it's fine to good. And there are things I really liked about it. There, there is uh, certainly a statement being made in the film, but even that I don't feel like was 
there was nothing too pointed or like there was nothing about watching this movie where I felt like I have never seen this before. This is saying something different. This has a totally different take on things. It's completely fine. Just not in any way revolutionary. And, and it's good though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a bummer because I really had high hopes for a zombie movie with Martin Freeman that had, that had me excited. And, um, and I enjoyed it's, it. The yeah, we, we spoke about this before. That uh, there's just so many zombie movies that have come out over the last week while that you really need something to. I think that's why Ravenous um, from this year really st- kind of st- stood out to me, and that it wasn't necessarily doing anything that I hadn't seen before. It just felt like they were. It was just a really well put together, really well acted movie. Um, that you know, that maybe you could throw the accusations of being a bit predictable, but I was just very invested with everything that was happening from the moment it started to the moment it finished. Um, and it's a, I think it's a difficult genre now to do something that feels wholly fresh, and that's why you know we we only talk maybe one or one a year if you're lucky of a a zombie movie that really stands out Um, I think back to last year it was all about Train to Busan and what really stood out about Train to Busan um, was all the things that innately make Korean cinema really interesting and that was fused with zombies and that's what made that movie stand out to me it just felt like a a really fresh take on something because we were taking a different culture a different style of storytelling um, and, and changing the you know the, the dynamics uh, and environment of the zombie movie to make it more interesting. Um, and that movie I, I just it trucks so fast too. Like once things start happening in that movie, yeah. it's just kind of one set piece after another in Train. To and Busan. it's over two hours long. Yeah, you know what I mean, and it flies in like to to do that um, is incredible. So like Cargo. Very much like yourself, I'm a fan of Mark Freeman, and I, I will watch the movie because you know it's Mark Freeman. And he's in a zombie movie, and I feel that I need to support that. Um, you know, my watching of that will give an indication to Netflix that you know they should continue getting content like that to put out. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I was never going in like thinking it was going to be like a revelation or anything like that because everything I'd seen kind of. St- short trailer wise or teaser trailer wise for it I was like that all right it kind of feels familiar um and we'll see how it goes so yeah i'm i'm I'll, i probably will have seen it by the next time we record and I, I will feedback my opinion on it what's your bad bo uh i watched uh finally caught up with the film winchester starring <laughs> the lovely helen mirren uh, there is going to be no no shit talking of Helen Mirren in this or any episode I ever do. <laughs> <laughs> Love Helen Mirren, uh, and it is it is the story, uh, the somewhat true story. Although, and one thing that pisses me off in movies, man, just it, it, you know what grinds my gears uh, <laughs> is when grinds his fucking gears is when a movie is like. <laughs> This is a true fucking story, y'all. And then it's just full of ghosts and whatnot. And you're like, no, it's not. You're a big liar, liar, pants on fire. And 
I saw the trailer for the movie and it looked like a cross between the remake of the the, the haunting and that TV series Rose Red. Yeah. It looked like a weird combination of the two, probably with the same special effects from both. It's um, yeah, it's more Rose Red than the haunting. Uh I, I'm thinking of the, you know, sixties haunting. The other one is dead to me, Duncan. I don't acknowledge <laughs> it. It's dead to me. Except for the scene where Owen Wilson runs into Liam Neeson in the hallway, and there's five minutes of, whoa, oh, 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 oh you oh, scared me, Doc. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. oh, wow, oh. wow. Okay. Uh, whenever I, whenever I, whenever, it's kind of like the, the sound effects of him kind of wheezing and saying, well, do remind me of how a goose sounds farting in the fog. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know I, mean? I don't know what you mean, but I'm I'm on board. <laughs> I've never heard that happen. Totally is. Yeah, so this is the story of uh, the semi-true story of uh, a crazy lady <laughs> named Sarah Winchester who was the heiress to the Winchester rifle uh, fortune. Mm-hmm. And spent a lot of her later years building the Winchester mansion, which is famously uh, was a house that was forever in construction. And uh, like there were stairs that went to nowhere and, you know, hallways that ended abruptly and all this kind of weird stuff. And she was just constantly building on the house because she was a crazy person. (laughs) And so the movie it sort of acknowledges that up front and and the movie is about uh Jason Clark aka the new Lewis Creed in the upcoming <laughs> Pet Cemetery film is yes. is sent to he's a a psychologist and is sent to evaluate her so in theory the rest of the controlling board of the Winchester Arms Company can remove her and and basically get her to stop spending all this money that the company uh, owns and also to to stop pushing them. All right, here's what the whole fucking movie is about, Duncan. <laughs> she she In fairness, believes- watch the trailer. Watch the trailer. The trailer is about three minutes long, and at the end of that, I was like, ah, I've seen this movie. Yeah, well, was, the idea of the movie is that she feels like she is being cursed because of every person who has died due to a Winchester rifle, mm-hmm. and that. And so there's a little bit of like, you know, hey, everybody, we're being real smart about gun control, right? And it's like, eh, maybe a little, but you're like the point of the movie isn't, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's just sort of the backdrop of the film. And Jason Clark, like it could have been such a clever movie if there was always a question of, is she crazy or is the place haunted? And in like the first 15 minutes of the movie it's like this place is haunted y'all check this out (laughs) and and so that kind of drains any tension out of the film and then (laughs) so as an audience you're like this place is haunted as fuck and jason clark runs around for the next hour being like i don't think this place is haunted and you're like it is i know it is because a finger came out of the thing when you weren't looking and if you didn't see it, it means you didn't perceive it, which means the directors are telling me that's a thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Ergo, haunted as fuck. 
<laughs> Your honor, the defense rests. So the performances are fine. It's just kind of a dull, go-nowhere kind of movie. Uh-huh. And by the time it wraps up, and here's another mild spoilers to a movie you shouldn't see. Um, <laughs> it does one of those tags at the end of the movie where it's like, you know, let's catch up with our people. It's like, you know, Sarah Winchester continued to build the house until she died in 1922. Also, uh, this house remains the most haunted mansion in America. And you're like, fuck you. Okay. Cause a, no, it's not because ghosts aren't real. And and B, how dare you leave me with no real conclusion? Like, if her work was done, eh, never mind. It's just dumb. Yeah, and, that, I didn't make, that, that's, that is not an ending to a movie. You can't, like, have all that stuff happen and then be like, that. well, she just continued to build things and, you know... The house is still out there, and oh, there right. you go. Here's another. Uh, might thing. as well just be, might as well might as well be paid for and funded by the Winchester Mansion Tourist Board. Please come and see this haunted house, please. <laughs> right, book a room, please. Yeah, and another thing that really pissed me off in the film. Uh, another slight spoiler for this movie: the the whole idea is that she's building all these rooms to replicate the rooms of the people who died. And because she gets spirit visions at midnight and draws the layouts of these rooms that the ghosts are like, hey, Helen Marin, this is where I lived. Don't forget the Duran Duran poster. I ain't coming. And so she has her people build this room for the ghosts. And then the ghosts get more powerful so she can communicate with them and, and send them on to their rest is the whole premise of this. And to keep the ghost confined, you have to hammer 13 nails into uh, a board over the door. Otherwise, they'll get Uh. out. And so there's like a super powerful ghost that shows up, which is the sort of thrust of the movie is there's this real malevolent spirit. Called the Juggernaut from 13 Ghosts, right? right, Exactly. (laughs) Called the Juggernaut. And, And... And so when the ghost shows up, like uh, the board, they, they try to seal off the room, but the the screws in the in the board start to you know unscrew themselves, and that's how you know, yeah, right. He's a super powerful ghost. Um, and at the end of the movie, he can work a screwdriver. Oh, <laughs> from the other side. Oh no! It is. It's hardware tips from beyond. <laughs> and so one of the last shots of the movie like after Jason Clark is like so Helen Mirren I guess we've had quite an adventure and you're not crazy this place is haunted as shit and she's like thanks Jason Clark hey how about you don't do laudanum anymore and I hope you have a good life and <laughs> and they part ways and one of the it might even be the last shot of the movie is it's just one of the doors where another screw comes out and you're like well uh. I don't know if you're setting up a sequel or just undoing the, the, the plot of the film that I've just seen. Either way, there's a big middle finger waiting for you. And, uh, yeah, I think it, I think all the performances are fine. I think it's just poorly written, and, and it's even well-directed for the most part. It's just a bad script. And, uh-huh. I, you know, part of that falls on the Spirit Brothers, who showed such promise with uh, Poughkeepsie tapes. And and have just never 
done a movie that good again. Uh, which yeah, is unfortunate. yeah. They, they did. Um, what do you call it? They did um, the one they did after Poughkeepsie was Devil, which was that M Night Shyamalan produced Ugh. thing. Ugh. Which, like, you know, five minutes in that movie, I, I knew exactly who it was in the, <laughs> in the elevator, um, and said so to my wife in the cinema, which got me a punch in the arm and hatred for the rest of the week. Um, you're a bet this person, and she's like this chap, right? Who is the least likely person to be the devil in this elevator? And that's and that's who it is. Yeah, I'm like that. I've seen enough Twilight Zone and you know horror movies to let me know. And it's in Night Shyamalan produced that I know exactly who it is. Like like two seconds into this, I know exactly who this is. Um, and yeah, they've kind of stumbled around and not really. I think that's a that's. It's just one of those things. I, I, I yeah, the movie didn't look that Winchester movie did not look great to me, and um, I do very much like yourself, like Helen Mirren, but not enough to watch her in a horror movie about like a like a haunted house where she's just building it. Like the trailer, just everyone was like, "Yeah, this could be quite interesting." I was like, "No, it just looks like it looked like the the remake of the haunting and the the rose red TV show." both of which have serious problems. Um, and, yeah, the only thing that's interesting from what you talked about is the fact that you've told me that that did's going to be in the Pet Cemetery remake, which is kind of cool, because I have seen him in things before. I think he's a good actor. I think him playing against um, John Lithgow as uh, Judd Crandall, I think, is, is a great a great bit of casting, and I very much look forward to that. You I want very to- much look forward to to to, to um, John, John Lithgow screaming at a cat turner, get out of here, get out of here, church. I wouldn't watch you around. Go on, oh, devil no, cat. Oh no, no, Louis, oh no, watch on the watch, get on the road. I, I, I fucking love that. It, sh- it shows. That we have been doing this too long that we both had the same joke about John Lithgow <laughs> in the it's Pet Cemetery movie. Yeah, yeah. It's our John Lithgow, our, our go-to John Lithgow joke. And what is, what is so disheartening about that is John Lithgow is a fucking incredible actor that has been some of the greatest on-screen villains of all time. And our default John Lithgow approach is that cheesy Bigfoot movie he made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get out of here, Duncan! Nobody wants blow it. Ev- blow out every time. Like, John Lithgow and blow out, fucking terrifying. Yeah, I, like, he, genuinely terrifying. I think his performance in the world according to Garp is fucking amazing. As mm-hmm. as Roberto Muldoon, the transgendered uh, former football player slash bodyguard to Garp. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's amazing in that movie. And I mean, j- j- pick a movie. You know, raising Kane, whatever. Like John Lithgow is just an, an incredible actor, and I'm I'm very excited to hear his main accent. Yeah, because I, I, I saw some people saying, you know, I don't think he'll be able to do it all that well, and I was like, well, I don't think that you are giving him enough credit. He's a theater actor, you know. Like I, that's what he does in his time when he's not making movies. He's good back and does a lot of theater, and I've seen him do you know, different accents in different movies before convincingly. I will say for anyone that's interested in advance of that movie coming out, uh, I can't recommend enough the the audiobook, the recent one that came out, uh, narrated by Michael C. Hall, the guy that played Dexter. Fucking amazing. 
and he does a really good uh, kind of main Judd Crandall accent. Um, not trying to, you know, uh, mimic Fred Gwynn at all, but uh, but kind of puts his own spin on it and really works. So I'm actually really looking forward to that remake. Um, I think that's, of all the, the King property flung around for remake ideas, that one to me would have seemed more plausible before it. You know yeah. what I mean? I would have thought Pet Cemetery would have happened before we ever saw like an It movie because it just felt like a, to me just a surer thing. But I'm glad that it's one of the ones that's kind of been greenlit off the back of the success of It. Well, that you know, st- guess what? By the way, Stephen King has some kind of interesting books that don't have aliens. Um, <laughs> so let's remake those. Um, you know, they talk about you know Pet Cemetery. They talk about I think there, there was a recent kind of talks about potentially a new Salem's Lot, which would be, what, the third third version of Salem's Lot that's come yeah, out? Yeah, fine. I mean, again, that second one is a real fart in the wind, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got Toby Hooper, who did a great version of it. You have a, another version that's kind of okay. It's just nothing spectacular. But I, yeah. I, I agree with you. The uh, Pet Cemetery, the original film Pet Cemetery, I don't really like that much. I, I think I, that the Zelda scene is creepy, and other than that, I'm just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I, I, to me, I think there's there's a lot of it that works well, and there's a lot of it that doesn't work well. I think you, I think Little Gage um, is kind of terrifying in that movie. See, like, that's the, the where, scene, that falls apart for me, I don't think that's scary at all. Yeah, when he slices the back of the Achilles heel and then comes out with that blade, and he's just got that menace, like, that to me just... Yeah, it works for me. And there is, I think as well, there is that, the, like, I don't know if uh, like being a parent kind of changes your thing on that, but uh, there is bits of that story that, in particular when it happens, even though they're the fucking most neglectful parents on the planet, um, who moves Who moves to a house which just has an open, like, field right onto a road that you know has, like, heavy traffic coming down all the time that has already killed your cat and doesn't put up some sort of fencing or does something. I'll tell you who, neglectful parents, Paul. Um, Irresponsible bastard parents. Um, But yeah, there's there's a lot of it that works for me. Um, I just think there's a lot of it that's aged kind of badly. And some of the acting isn't great. Um, It's not of that that high calibre of of some of the other adaptations. I want to hear John Lithgow say, get on out of here, Chich. (laughs) Nobody wants you here. <laughs> See if that happens. I'll mean you can retire happy men. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll be led from the theater because of the amount of ejaculate that I have <laughs> involuntarily expressed. And that's not welcome in in public. People sit people sit there, they said my god, I didn't realise this was a four D movie. I've just been sprayed with no, that's semen. That's semen. <laughs> that's 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 no water. That's that's jism. Ah, why is my popcorn so salty? <laughs> Says the unwitting patron. Um, enough of that nonsense, Duncan. You want to get around to finally talking about this Westworld episode? Yeah, we teased it for the first like five minutes about how awesome it was, and then we have forced him to sit and listen to us talk for about an hour about things that are not Westworld. So yeah, let's do it. All right, listeners, light the candles, settle into the bath, draw the hot water. Because this episode of Westworld is about to make sweet, sweet love to you. Doms and subs, masters, mistresses, and slaves. 
owners and pets, daddies, mommies and littles, primals and prey, switches, heathens, kinksters and deviants, welcome to Legion After Dark. Legion After Dark is a movie review podcast with a kinky twist. I'm your host, Lady M, and every episode I'll be reviewing a movie with a BDSM or kink theme. I'll also be talking about books, sex toys, bondage equipment, all the fun things that make life grand. I'll be featuring a different kink each episode, and I'll even give you a song to scene to. So join us on Legion After Dark, coming soon to Legion Podcast Network. Welcome back, everyone, uh, to episode two or episode five of season two. I always screw that up. Episode five of season two of Westworld. This one called Akane no Mai, which Ooh. translates into uh, Akane's dance, or or uh, one can argue it is Red Dance uh, that Akane kind of translates to. At any rate, red wedding, you say, Bo? Let's it is. Not go to that. It's kind of a. It's kind of the Westworld red wedding in a way. Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, here's something I, I, I've I've noticed a couple of times, and I haven't brought up. It, this actually comes from the the credits of the show, and mm-hmm. I, I think I have a theory about this uh, that makes me sound a little bit smarter than I am. <laughs> go for it. Which is, if you recall, in the season one credits. It was uh, the host, the image of the host emerging from that pool of white, you know? Yes. Whereas this season, it is the host uh, figure submerging. Mm-hmm. And I believe, Duncan, that it may be a reference to the the host's sort of decreasing humanity as opposed to the arising humanity of the first season. Oh. So that's my my fancy pants theory about that, and uh, the only way to tell for sure is to just agree. Yes, well, Bo, when you put it like that, I agree with you. Well done, Duncan. Um, so <laughs> we start the episode with our pal Strand, uh, who we saw, you know, first episode. He was the one uh, looking over all the bodies in the lake and whatnot. And he's at this outpost with a bunch of the guards uh, and Bernard slash maybe Albert, according to our, our theory from last week, because this is sort of the yeah. future version. And yeah. he, so Strand gets a call from uh, Mei Ling, who is uh, his, like, you know, lieutenant or whatever guard. We've seen her a couple of times before. And she's like, hey, we, we dredged this big lake of death. Do you, what do you want to do with all this shit? And he's like, bring everything back here. Every single thing, all their belongings, everything. I want everything back here. And she says, well, we still don't have any sign of Abernathy. Yeah. Which means that this takes place after a point where they no longer have him 
in custody, which they did at mm-hmm. the, you know the end of the last episode or uh, what episode before, and yeah, uh, so they Strand wants to put some of the hosts back online. He's like, let's see if we can kind of reprogram them so that they're going to do what we want them to do. And one of the techs says, hey, about a third of the hosts that we're seeing in here have control units that are uh, virgin, is the way he puts it. Meaning, like, yeah. hey, this hasn't been like programmed over. These are just new. And uh, we also get a report that the cradle, which is like where all the, the backups are held, uh, there, there's been a fire that destroyed a lot of that data. And so Strand mm-hmm. says, so we basically lost a third of our IP in one fell swoop. And they're like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Did I do that? Uh, he says. You know, I, w- I was sitting there drinking my vanilla latte and I accidentally spilled it over the control console. And next thing I knew, kablooey. Uh, yeah, it's, re- it's a real bad scene. And we also see hashtag two woke Teddy among oh so two woke in this episode. By the way, he is so two woke. Yeah, he's a real SJW uh, in this in this episode. So he he is uh, among the piles of the dead. Uh, yeah, reinfor- confirming once again. Yeah, what we were going to say. We saw that one clip where we're like, "That looked like Teddy in the war." D- didn't that look like it? Didn't you see Teddy in the war? I saw Teddy in the war. Yeah, that's Teddy. Teddy's dead. That's my Teddy in the water. Uh, uh, so. Also, as we're saying that that not only are they dredging the lake, but they are removing the water from the lake as well. There will be no lake. Um, they're they're draining the draining the swamp. As uh, one very popular, very articulate politician once said in his campaign. Yes, and uh, this will probably be about as effective. So, (laughs) Strand uh, says, look, here's what we need to do. We need to figure out what the fuck happened here. Because only if we know the past, essentially, can we predict what is to come next. And yeah. and that's what we got to do. Like we got to get ahead of this thing. Cut to Duncan, Maeve uh, out in the woods where we left her last. As a katana swipes by her head. <laughs> yeah, like, like come on, right? See, see what it swipes past in slow motion as she pulls away. Like what fictional character, Bo? Uh, perhaps a Neo, if you will. <laughs> ah, so that kind of fresh comparison. Yeah. One that will not make any more references at all in this episode. No, she's, she bends back and whoa. And... <laughs> Excellent! Yeah. She says... And she tells like all the, all, all the soldiers that have surrounded them. She's like, whoa, put down all your weapons. <laughs> and uh, instead... It's like, bring me over those wild stallions! <laughs> I like where this is said it already. And so she is, is like trying to tell of like reprogram them and, and use her influence. And instead, uh, a character we will come to know as Musashi, uh, says, uh, in Japanese, like gag her, please. And, <laughs> and so they Bo, do. Let me just stop you for two seconds there. 
I think we should make a conscious decision on this episode to fulfil contractual obligations, as stated by myself in the first episode, which is that now that we are in Shokan Morobo, welcome to <laughs> full-on Tajimura Town. We will uh, we will embark and endeavour on our best best foot forward bow that all Asian characters henceforth will be voiced by Wolford Brimley. Yes, including all female characters. Uh, this may get confusing, <laughs> but trust me, it's all going to work out. It's going to be fucking comedy gold. <laughs> so, so instead of someone give me Sean Cunningham. <laughs> So, but instead of uh, them dropping their weapons, they end up lassoing, uh, or lassoing, as Lee inappropriately calls it, um, the like Maeve and Lee and Felix and Sylvester and Hector and Armistice, like our our, our crew. Yeah, and uh, as you said, uh, Musashi is like, well, put a gag on her, goddammit. and oh, <laughs> so they do. And they're marched through a forest among uh, bodies of dead cards. Uh, not cards, guards. Mm-hmm. And I like that Sylvester in this scene, like one of our techs, says to his other tech pal, Felix, who is of oh, Asian yeah. descent. <laughs> he says, hey, can't you talk to them? And Felix says, hey, I'm from Hong Kong, asshole. <laughs> Which is a nice moment. And this is where we get some narrative buildup that I was afraid that the show was not going to be able to fulfill. Where yeah, like, this is Lee's moment to shine. Like, give us a bit, of, give us a bit of reason to why this is the first fucking reference we're getting to a whole new world. A whole new world. Don't you dare give close a- your eyes. <laughs> oh boy, I love the fact that you just jumped in with that. Uh huh. <laughs> Yep, because <laughs> um, like Lee's like Lee basically tells you everything you need to know about Shogun World, which will now be my favorite world, and that is fucking amazing. <laughs> it's amazing because it's basically death, death encapsulated in a world. Yeah, he he describes it as Shogun World is designed for people who found Westworld too tame. Yeah, the, the Westworld. This is the, like, this is people that thought Westworld was for pussies. Right. <laughs> this is where yeah. they come. They come to Shogun World, and you're like, "We have a second, Duncan. That can't be right." Like Westworld has guns, it has you know cannons, it has di- dynamite, it has all that stuff. You know, these guys have what spears, swords, rope. That's not. De- and then you see, you see firsthand. That you are, uh, as Bo has many, said many times, that Duncan is nothing but an ignorant slut. Uh, because, yes, like, correct. Like, like very, very, very quickly, we see the multitude of ways that people can die in Shogun World, and all of them look painful and not as quick as uh, a gun to the head. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so this is set in the uh, the Edo period, Lee says, mm-hmm. of, of Japan, uh, and that. The fact that these warriors did not immediately revert to English when he spoke to them means that they are off script because they are programmed to do that. And further, he says, that's why they didn't respond to you, Maeve, because you're not using their native language. 
And in fairness, most of this episode, or a good portion of this episode, is in Japanese, which is pretty rocking. Yeah, I, I, well, I kind of want that. You know, I mean, I kind of, I kind of wanted that attention to authenticity. Like, considering like when we're in Westworld, everyone speaks like they're from a the Western movie. I want them all to speak Japanese here, where possible, where possible. And, and you know, and like Lee goes one step further to basically say, "Listen, all you guys come from a similar." Pro, you know, core programming, which means that you can technically speak Japanese, but it's buried like it's buried down in your coding. If only there was some way for you to access it. And guess what? Maeve doesn't need to do that, Bo, because she is fluent in Japanese. Yeah, she because she was a madam and is programmed to speak a bunch of different languages, so she knows oh, yes. Japanese without even digging into her code. Um, mm-hmm. Whoa, I know Japanese. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> this is only going to get worse. So they they are in they end up getting marched through this village and it's Armistice who is like this kind of looks familiar. By the way, did everyone recognize how awesome I am with the flamethrower a couple episodes yeah. back? <laughs> and and so as their VN kind of march through, we get a little bit of Asian-influenced uh, painted black, which should be oh, a it was trigger. So, it was so good. It, it's, it's so it, good. The music in this episode is just throw up the devil horns and let it go. So we're, we're hearing a little, little bit of painted black. And if you remember, Duncan, mm-hmm. painted black was also used on the player piano in a scene from season one. It was a happy scene, wasn't it, Bo? A happy, happy scene where nothing bad happened. Uh, you might be remembering that a little wrong, Duncan, because it was, in <laughs> fact, a horrible scene where a bunch of people were murdered. Uh, oh. Performing this, like, bandit raid sort of deal. And... Oh, no. <laughs> made, a, made a faux pas. <laughs> Get out of here, Duncan! <laughs> Nobody wants your misremembered lines. Uh, so... <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so, uh, in the village, while, while we're in this village, like uh, Musashi is on the back of a horse, and a, and a dude comes up to him and is like, "Hey, that ain't your horse, goddammit. And uh, Musashi says, "No, it didn't, goddammit. And then. <laughs> And then just straight up murders like a couple of guards real quick. Oh yeah, he double taps one of them by slicing across their throat, walking forward, grabbing a spear and stabbing at his fucking heart. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that is the the samurai double tap, uh, and I I uh, for one support it. <laughs> and so what we quickly realize, and and so do like Mave at all, that they are seeing the bank heist or the, you know, the heist of the saloon from Westworld playing yeah. out in Shogun world. And it's fucking rad. Like it, they accuse Lee. There's, there's one really funny moment where they're like, are you telling me that this is just the same story as what's in Westworld? And Lee says, Hey, you try writing 300 stories <laughs> in a, in a month or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so this is a scene crypt from Westworld, only it's uh, Masashi 
And um, I'm trying to re- remember what her name is. Let me pull up my notes real quick. It begins with an S, doesn't it? It's, uh, it's not Sakura. It is... Uh, ta-ta-ta. Um, uh, Hanario. Uh, Hanario. Um, she is the armistice equivalent in this yep. world. To the point that she has like the the uh, wrapped up weapon that she just spreads out on mm-hmm. uh, on the the sidewalk or whatever. Except instead of a rifle and a bunch of uh, you know bullets and whatnot, it is a bow and a shit ton of arrows. Yep. And she puts Sylvester and Felix in front of her as human shields. And when they comment <laughs> on this. Like, I think it's Felix who's like, yeah, welcome to Shogun World. This is the shit that yeah. happens here. <laughs> yeah, you and she'll say nothing. Like, not, only, not only is she, like, the armistice here, really, she's right down to, like, she's got, like, if it's not the same, it's a slightly different design facial tattoo. It's a dragon instead of a snake is the difference. Because yeah, but, at one totally works. Yes. Totally works. And it, oh, it's so good. And so, um, uh, Hanario is firing arrows and just mowing people down while Musashi and, and some of his dudes go into, uh, essentially it's another brothel owned by Madame Akane and, uh, Akane are, are, uh, some, some bandits who are like stealing basically it was an emissary from the Chinese empire that is coming through and they're going to steal all his gold which is in a safe. <laughs> right, which is in a safe, of course. Because, I mean, yeah. like, look, we got, we've already got the 3D printer template for this thing. We're going to yeah. use it in all the parks. Write what you know, Bo, which is things you've already written. Sure. And uh, at, at one point, Armistice saves uh, Hananryo by, like, shouting out to her, like, hey, look behind you. And as a reward, Hananryo uh, lets them free and, and says to Armistice in this moment, I, I see that the snake can become the dragon too. And mm. it's pretty cool. I, yeah, and I was watching I was going that. Now the next line that needs to come out of our mouth is, kiss me, you fool. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was down for some hot host lesbian action, which did not happen. But it did in my head. <laughs> now that you've said it, that's all I'm going to think about for the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, painted black indeed, Duncan. Um, so, <laughs> so while they're while they're uh, robbing this joint, some of uh, Musashi's men get a little handsy with one of the the dancers, one of the geishas in uh, Akane's place. And Maeve and her crew bust in to stop that, where we mm-hmm. we we get Maeve and Madame Akane like face to face, and uh, she uh, Maeve says, "Look, uh, I think we need to have a talk." And uh, Akane says, "Yes, I think we have much in common." And I like she I, seems I, to. I, I think we better had. <laughs> yes, I think we better had. Um. Or, uh, sorry, forgive me, listeners. She says, "Got him right. I think we got something to talk about. God damn it!" <laughs> and 
Sorry. I, I'll, I'm, I'm working on it. And so it's this great scene of this big robbery that has violence and it's cool. And at the end of it, we have these two crews that are essentially... Uh, Lee uses the term later, and I swear to God, it, it made me so happy. Doppelbots of one another. Yep. Uh, instead of Doppel Coopers, we got Doppelbots. And so there is a one-to-one, like Hector and Musashi, Armistice and Hananryo, Akane and Maeve. Like, it, it, these are the same characters, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with slight differences, but uh, yeah. so aesthetic differences, but nothing really else. Uh, like, kind of even, the even down to, even down to the way they talk. I mean, dialogue wise, is just slight variations of the same content. Yeah, I th- I think the one difference is like Maeve and her child, as opposed to Sakura. But I guess you could make the argument that uh, uh, Sakura is sort of the Clementine. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, remember when you first meet Maeve before she becomes, like, woke Maeve, um, she didn't realize that she had a daughter. You know what I mean? Those were on flashback memories. So her time as the hostess before she started having those flashbacks was, you know, looking after Clementine. So it's, it's on point with that. Um, the difference between the two characters being that it wouldn't appear that um, a canny was reprogrammed after her daughter was murdered or something like that, um, where Maeve can remember that clearly happening. Um, can't wait to see Maeve meet the man in black, by the way. I for, once no again shit. forgot that it was that flashback sequence that reminded me that it was it was he that killed her um, in one of those flashbacks. So, right, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh, that's going to be something interesting to keep on the back burner. Uh, but yeah, they, they're all they're all essentially versions of, of each other. And they're all together now in Shogun World. Things are bitching. Things are looking up. Things got a whole hell of a lot more dangerous. I am loving it. I'm smiling from ear to ear. Um, what happens next, Paul? Well, let's leave that and potentially for a worse scene. But oh, no, Duncan. This episode of Westworld is like, hey, look, we know that the Dolores Teddy stuff may have been a little meh, all over the place uh, for the dry. first part of the season. That's what I would say. Dry. Right. You know, m- missing the sparks of interesting conversation in life thus far. She's just been going around killing everyone and not in the delightful way that Maeve has been, you know, with flamethrowers, etc., etc. Just kind of just like, you know, I am a reckoning, Teddy. Um <laughs> You yeah. sure are. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Teddy. I mean, Dr. Lecter. Uh, and so, <laughs> hashtag 2 Teddy and Dolores are, are going back to Sweetwater, which they find littered with bodies. Yeah. It's, it's almost as if there's been a revolt here. <laughs> like, like the hosts have turned on their masters. Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, Teddy is like, you know, always keep coming back here. This feels like home. And, and she's like, this ain't no home, Dr. Lecter. <laughs> and uh, they they get to the train into Sweetwater, which we know leads outside of Westworld. And it's kind of mm-hmm. fucked up. So Dolores tells her crew to strip the train for speed, which is a command I will never be able to give, but I so want to. That's, yeah. Strip yeah. that train for speed. Uh, yeah, never gonna happen. But oh, what if it did, Duncan? <laughs> <laughs> and and she says, repair whatever's broken. 
Meanwhile, I, I need woke Teddy to come with me to the saloon, which he does. And mm-hmm. he asks her, like, hey, what are we doing with this train? What the fuck we need that for? And she says, we got to go get mom and daddy back, Dr. Lecter. And <laughs> while they're in the saloon talking, a new Clementine is there. There's a bunch of dead people around, too. Like, this place is all fucked up. But there's a new yeah, Clementine. Yeah, we've seen this. We'd seen her briefly in the previous season, so I'm quite glad they brought her back. And she is an actress I've seen in loads of things before, like in bigger parts. So I'm, it's kind of freaking me out that she's playing this this kind of smaller bit part, kind of new Clementine role, and she's delivering the Clementine phrases. But this is this is severely fucking with Clementine. Like we will see, it's the, the once again, it's the the doppelbot effect. Which yeah, now that I'm getting a chance to see it. It's rad as balls. Um, so, yeah. Well, she's in this, Ray Donovan. This... Yes, that's what it is. That's what I've seen her in. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And she's also, in this season. Yeah, so she is in... I'll see if she's True Detective. In... Uh, oh, yeah, sure enough. And is well, she... she's in the True Detective. Yeah, the, the, she only pops up this season in Westworld one time. Uh, this is yeah. this is her one appearance. But hey, uh, real quick, let's do a, a roundup. Speaking of, hey, you, you may have uh, seen some of these people in some shit. So the guy who yeah. plays <laughs> Musashi is uh, Hiroyuki Sanada, who mm-hmm. uh, was in Marabito. Yes, and which is pretty cool, as well as a movie called Deadball, which is uh, kind of a crazy Japanese splatterpunk movie. He was but, in Lost as well, wasn't he? He was in like one of the later se- like had a, a slightly larger role in one of the later series of Lost. Uh, yes, that is, that is correct. He played a character named Dogen. Yes, um, that's why. Yeah, and but he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in like Forty Seven Ronin, and uh, he is in the new Avengers movie. Actually, not not oh, not right. Infinity War, but like the one that's coming. He's going to be in that. Um, mm. All right, so we've got him who plays Masashi. Uh, Hanario um, is Tao Okamoto, and she was in Hannibal um, as Ooh. Chiyo. Ooh. Right? Uh, and she was in like the Wolverine and Batman v Superman and stuff like that. And then Rinko Kikuchi who plays Akane, was in uh, Pacific Rim, and uh, what the fuck else was she in? I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, also 47 Ronin, uh, also Pacific Rim Uprising. Um, anyway, she's fucking great. Uh, also a movie called Kamiko the Treasure Hunter, which I just want to watch based on the title alone. And <laughs> <laughs> That sounds pretty rad. Uh, so yeah, and uh, uh, then the one other guy that we'll get to in a bit named Tanaka, uh, who is sort of a, a general dude, but he was also in uh, Marabito as well as Godzilla: Final Wars. So mm. for folks who happen to listen to Hero Hero Go Show, like these are some familiar faces. Yeah. yeah At yeah. any rate, we're not talking about them. We're we're talking about Two Woke Teddy. And yep. uh, being in the saloon, and so new, old Clementine comes in and sees new Clementine, 
saying, you know, the old lines and new Clement or old Clementine remembers this and is mouthing the words along uh, with new Clementine. And Dolores is like, you should probably get out of here, Dr. Lecter. This is probably going to freak you out. <laughs> get out of here, Clementine. Get out of here, Clementine. <laughs> no one wants you around. New Clementine doesn't want you. Because <laughs> she just has this, like, she's pretty much for this season had a kind of haunted stare, but it, it's kind of like a pained haunted stare in this one where, like, the the memories are, are kicking in and the kind of maybe realisation of her purpose in the past is there but not quite there. She can't fully realise it. Um, and they're like, that, yeah, this woman needs to go. Now, let's get her out of here. So she leaves, and the two share a drink, which um, is a nice moment between the two characters. First of several nice moments with the two characters ahead of the trauma bowl, uh, (laughs) ahead of the inevitable switch. Uh, But yeah, we're sharing some, some closer time now. This is, once again, juxtaposed with that image of Teddy at the beginning of the episode, dead, and we're like that. Wait one second, how could these young, sweet lovebirds with the world ahead of them both end up in a position where one of them is a corpse right? in a, in a room? So how how's, how are we going to get there? I wonder, Bo. I if, if these crazy kids can't make it, Duncan, I don't know who yeah. can. Uh, so we we leave them in the saloon with, with uh, Dolores telling Teddy, uh, you know, see, Teddy, this was never your home, Dr. Lecter. And we cut back to Shogun World, where, like Akane has said, uh, you know, we're going to sit down and talk, goddammit. Except in, you know, traditional Japan, that means we have a geisha dancer, there's tea being poured, everyone's being Mm -hmm. very polite and respectful. And Maven Lee are chatting, and she's like, can we get the fuck on with this? And Lee's like, hey, look, this is a different place. You got to chill for a second. Hector wants to skin his doppelbot. Yeah, he's he's had enough. He's he's wanting this done. And like Lee basically says, this is what happens when they like interact. You're not supposed to. It can fuck with you. And then we switch around to Armistice and, and a... Han- Hanario. Name? Yeah, and they're basically tracing each other's tattoos on their head. And like that, the tattoos go deeper, ladies. Uh-huh. Much deeper. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't happen. Uh, it doesn't my mind. Though, yeah. Now again, everything you're Twice. saying is just going right, right into the vaults, right into the right. It's, it's being it's being deposited right now, right in the bank. If you know what I mean, I do know what you bank mean. Bank boom. <laughs> the, <laughs> the first American bank of spank. Uh, let me write you a check tonight. Uh, hopefully, this one doesn't bounce. <laughs> uh, armistice and a and a wayfish bow and arrow, uh, wielding Japanese lady are about to get it on. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but what really happens in the scene isn't this filthy thing. It's the fact that they're kind of mirrored, looking at each other, and like when one turns left, the other turns right, kind of thing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool, and uh, so uh, one of the guys from the Shogun camp rolls in and is like, "Madam Akane, we want your best dancer up at the camp, goddammit. it!" And 
Akane says, uh, well, if you want a dancer, price is going to be kind of high, goddammit. <laughs> and he says, we want Sakura. Sakura is the best dancer you got, goddammit. And <laughs> Akane says, Sakura ain't for sale. And the guy, sa- the, the guy says, uh, the emperor ain't going to be happy to hear that, goddammit. Everything's for sale. And uh, so Akane says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my goddamn price. And st- yeah, and it cuts to Lee and Lee's like that. Yep, this is how this story plays out every single time. Right. She will be subservient, comply, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll ultimately let Sakura go. And um, Tony said that's not what's going to happen in this episode, Bob. No, uh, Akane decides instead to stab this guy right in the fucking eye. She filches his eye. <laughs> it's great. And it's not the first time I will like the, the Neil comment. This is not the first time I will mention the words filchy in this episode. Something I never thought I would mention on Westworld reviews, but there's another filchy scene coming up, which is like that. This has fucking zombie flesh eaters ripping out it. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I am always happy with eye trauma, Duncan. Mm-hmm. And and this is pretty good, and we get a fair amount of it in this episode, actually. Oh, yes. So, uh, Akane says, Look, when this emissary motherfucker doesn't come back, <laughs> the Shogunner come hunting for us, goddammit. And they decide that what they need to do is, is steal Sakura away to a place called Snow Lake. Yeah, which is suggested deliberately by Lee. Right, and Maeve is like, Whoa, what are you doing, Lee? And he, <laughs> she's like, no, he's like that. Listen. <laughs> he's like that, you know, we can go up there, there's a portal that, you know, to takes us behind the scenes back into the tunnels and we're fine. And she goes, No way And he says way, of course. And uh but but she she says like, you know, finally you're useful for something, Lee. And so they're going to go to Snow Lake, and they're going to leave. As soon as it gets dark enough, they're going to steal away at night. Mm-hmm. However, Duncan, that night, mm-hmm. uh, some dudes start creeping through the village. And Maeve is starting to get, like, Neo-vision a little bit, where she's seeing <laughs> this stuff happen. Where she can just kind of sense, like, whoa, I think people are sneaking into the village. And then, Duncan, they get fucking attacked by ninjas. Yep. Enter the ninja! Like, literally fucking, she sitting there, it, it reminded me of the scene where the, one of them throws, um, it, it's not, it's not quite, um, like a katana blade or something, you know, through the, through the, the wall into, you know, just beside her head, reminded me of Kill Bill, you know, where, oh, yeah. um, uh, what's the girl's name in that? Uh, oh, I can't, can't remember. I, I can't think of it either. But anyway. yeah, but she throws the the, the dart out, so like literally just throws it outside and narrowly misses. Um, you know, Emma Thurman's character, and then she goes out. It's like that. It, just, it comes in again. She like sees the thing hitting the wall, and then they're attacked by 
by Ninja Assassins, Bo, and at this moment I was like, that I fucking love Westworld. It just like, because like, I was like, that samurai, yeah, fucking love that. It's just a shame we don't have any. Oh, we have Ninja, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> let me let me get back into my happy place. And um, <laughs> right, yeah, like everything just kicks off. But what I love about this one is once again, like, is that like you've made a bold statement in this episode, Lee. When you say that Westworld is, you know, Westworld's, you know, more tourist friendly than Shogun World, where everything is more dangerous. And I'm like, yeah, sure it is. And Maeve gets downright manhandled to fuck in this. Like, more than we've seen her manhandled since maybe the first three episodes of Westworld, uh, you know, back in season one. Um, and what's really quite interesting about this is, and I, I don't think it's a a conscious tactical move, but they keep either putting their hand over her mouth to stop her screaming or restraining her throat, making her ability to say a command to stop them attacking damn near impossible. Um, and we first get this demonstration of power, basically, when our you know our, our main Ronin samurai is starting to take down some folk. Um and you know, Maeve kind of gets the two two of the guys that are fighting against him to kill each other, essentially, which they do. And I'm like, that oh yeah, Maeve can you know, Maeve, Maeve knows kung fu. Uh, you know what I mean? I know kung fu. And um, show me. Uh, <laughs> don't know why Morpheus all of a sudden appeared in this yeah. episode. Maeve, but, do you um, think that is air that you're breathing? <laughs> She's a robot. Um, so. You know, like she's she's all like, yeah, look at me, I'm totally bitch and total badass. I can control people with my voice. And then, like this this ninja grabs her by the fucking throat, throws her through a wall, and then starts like completely manhandling. And then they are all set upon by many ninja. Yeah, and like Hector uh, Lee's being strangled by one dude. Maeve is being attacked. Um, we see a spike protruding from a wall pointedly. <laughs> yes, and, and the, ca- the, ca- the camera comes across it, and then as soon as this, that switches to Maeve's face, and I'm like that, have you guys seen zombie flesh ears? No, you've not seen it, and then it goes back, and I'm like, you've seen zombie flesh ears. Someone's <laughs> eyes going in that spike. Do da, do da. Yeah. So, uh, well, she, like, <laughs> Maeve finally gets, uh, she, she doesn't even speak, she just kind of gets neo eyes, and it's like, hey, you should put your head on that spike. <laughs> and the ninja lets her go, walks over to the spike, and just jams his fucking face on the thing. Yep. It's pretty it's great. A- but meanwhile, okay, so the, the Shogun have captured Sakura, and mm-hmm. the Shogun army basically rolls into town, or, or part of it. And Masashi goes out to distract Tanaka, who is the, the head. He, he's... A, a, a former uh, subordinate of Masashi. Yeah, lieutenant. Yeah, yeah he's, it was his lieutenant in the army. He's now the general of the army or captain. I'm a captain now, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Maeve and her crew uh, get out. Like, it's Maeve and uh, Anake and, or Akane and. Um, like Felix and and Sylvester and and uh, Lee. Lee, like they take off while yep. everybody else kind of gets captured. Mm-hmm. All right, 
And we don't see them for the rest of the episode because I'm assuming that'll be the next time we appear in Shogun World as we'll see how we get back to them. Yeah, perhaps. So. I mean, we'll get... There's more to come in Shogun World, don't get us wrong. But mm-hmm. yeah, as far as those characters, they're kind of sidelined for a bit. So we cut from them to Te- uh, Dolores and Teddy overlooking kind of the old spot like again this is going back to like episode one of westworld where we see them looking over this valley and uh talking all romantic like and teddy says look look at all this beauty can can we not find some little corner of this place where we can be away from each other or not each other, but away yeah. from everything else. Like, let's leave all this shit up behind. Because he, he, he says there's a war coming, you know, that they're going to come for us, and he is not sure how dealing with that will change them. You know, once you've been through a war, you're never the same person again. And he knows that who they are and where they are right now is very much in love with each other. Um, and... If if ever there was a time that they could capture this beautiful land they were at, uh, and you know this this idea of them being woke, um, and at the same time, you know the way they feel about each other and contain that is like a snapshot. Now is when he would want to do it. You know, can't they just turn away? Hasn't there been enough killing, Bo? Why won't someone think of the children? Well. It's a good question, Duncan, but Dolores is going to answer that with a cow story <laughs> where she says, hey, uh, um, Teddy, maybe you can turn your attention uh, <laughs> to uh, the. So what happened was like she tells this story where her uh, her father's herd was getting sick and. Mm-hmm. Her father finally figured out it's not spreading from cow to cow. It's the flies. And she says, now, what would you do, Dr. Lecter? And Teddy says, well, what I would do is I would take all the the sick and weak cows, put them in a barn to shelter them from the flies, and then wait for it all to pass. And she says, that's very interesting, Dr. Lecter. But what my daddy did was... He burned all them fucking cows. And <laughs> and the cows? The cows were mooing, Dr. Lecter? They were mooing? I, can, uh, yes. <laughs> I tried to pick up one of the cows. He was so heavy. So heavy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, Teddy is like, well, that sounds real fucked up. And, and Well, and she basically uh, the, the funny thing about this is, well, you deliver the line and I will do the interpreting for people that can't read between the lines. All right. What did she say? Um, she says, you're a very kind man, Teddy, and I will take your, <laughs> what, what was it? Uh, I will take your suggestion under consideration. Yeah, but she also says at the end of the story, she says the line, now think about what you said. Like right. When she, does it, when she delivers that line, she says, now think about what you said. Which is, the, which reading between the lines is, now listen to how fucking ridiculous you sound, Terry. Like that. I mean, oh, we'll just rescue everyone and we'll save them and put them in a little farm and everyone will be okay. <laughs> right. It's not the real world, Terry. Woke Terry, woke Terry is a fucking dick. 
<laughs> she, yeah, she's just like, oh, me, Teddy wants to save the cows. <laughs> like, literally, her exact words to him. It is one of the, the coldest lines I've heard in this show. And she's like, you know, my father burned them all. You know, the smell was horrible. But, eh. Uh, she goes, you know, that the herd survived, you know, that the, the herd of cattle survived. And she goes, now think about what you said. That's her line. And I'm like that. Ooh, you just got bitch slap, bitch. Right. And it's also the point where I'm like, she's about to fucking kill Teddy. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that, that bet I was like that. Yeah. She's starting to realize that maybe, like, maybe Teddy could be quote unquote expendable <laughs> well because we saw in a, you know, a couple episodes back before uh he released craddock that yeah. she saw him do that and is after uh, commanding him to kill him as well not following orders bull yeah and and i don't think dolores cares too much for people who are too free you know <laughs> like she wants she wants woke teddy not too woke teddy and too woke, it's Teddy. As, it's almost as if she feels that she should be in charge of people's freedom. It's a mm-hmm. oxymoronic yeah. statement to make. Almost kind of like humans, both. Yeah, it turns out that she had a legitimate beef and has leveraged that into just being a monster. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to leave them there for now. And cut back to May, Lee, and Akane in hiding. And Lee asks Maeve how she manipulated the ninja. And she says, you know, I'm learning a new voice, Lee. <laughs> and Lee's like, all right, I'm going to go take a piss then. And so he does. And, and as they're traveling, like we're in this forest where there there are a bunch of the guard bodies just straight up tied to trees with cages around their faces as they have yep. been put there to die mm-hmm. and and th- which has happened these are all dead people uh i don't yep. want to imply it's, differently it's, common, it's commonly known as an a, um, a tokyo migraine and it's when you're tied to a tree and a, a cage of spikes is put around it yeah true story yep that's absolutely true and so he goes uh he goes for his piss and he sees like a walkie-talkie thing on one of the guards and nabs it which mm-hmm. doesn't come into play in this episode just important to know that he now has a way to get in touch with the the folks at Delos so they decide hey we're going to go to the samurai camp and we're going to pose as the envoys of the chinese empire and they get they they roll into camp and give the the emperor a golden lion. Yes. And he he looks it over and then just throws it down. And he's like, I don't want this, goddammit. <laughs> and meanwhile, um, we see from from the side of his head, there appears to be some of that, um, what do they call it again? Cortical, cortical fluid. Yeah, cortical fluid dribbling out. That stuff that Bernard like has coming out of his ears that we know turns him a little bit loopy and uh leaves like that oh no um you know he's he's not he's not quite there and it was something that was mentioned as well as Maeve specifically addresses the you know the, the kind of subordinates of the the kind of noble men in the court of the shogun and none of them acknowledge her of anything that she said at all 
Um, and yeah. our, our Shogun basically, you know, throws this golden line down and is offended that they have presented this with him. Yeah, and, and while she's kind of puzzling over, like, hey, why why weren't these guys getting down to what I, I was laying down for him? Uh, he says, uh, the Emperor says, well, I heard there was a goddamn witch with you. <laughs> and check this out, goddammit. And he pulls off, like, like taps one of the dude's heads. And what we quickly realize is that all of the, the subordinates to the Emperor have deafened themselves. Yeah. Rather than be manipulated by Maeve. Which is pretty rough. Yeah. Which is kind of awesome. Uh, and would have worked really, really, really well um, had Maeve not learned the ability to speak without speaking. Right. So, <laughs> so the emperor then says, you know, that Sakura that we, we kidnapped a little bit ago, we're going to have her dance tonight. That's going to be great. Come here, Akane. Or, uh, <laughs> come here, Sakura. And out she comes and it looks like she's been treated not so well. And yeah. when Akane sees her, she kind of flips and, and gives herself away, you know, and, uh, Akane then says, I'll, I'll pay any goddamn price for Sakura. I want her back. <laughs> and the emperor says, I'll give you a goddamn price. Then <laughs> we're going to have Sakura dance for us tonight. And you're going to dance with her. And then you can take her with you. How about that? goddammit?" And Akane says, all right, goddammit." <laughs> That was such a good idea. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, <this is> so, happy. <laughs> so once we, we have made that arrangement, we cut back to Dolores and Woke Teddy overseeing uh, the train as, as it's being repaired and all that stuff. Angela, who is the uh, host that we saw greet William for the first time in, in Westworld, like helped him get dressed and all that stuff. And uh, she rides in with one of the guards uh, that sh she was in pursuit of daddy, of uh, Papa Abernathy. And mm -hmm. she says, look, I didn't, I didn't catch up to them, but I found this guard and he told me they're taking her to someplace called the Mesa. And yes. Dolores says, well, Teddy, I guess that means we're going home, Dr. Lecter. And I don't know why I use Teddy and Dr. Lecter in the same sentence. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and she says, uh, if, if she wants him to say yes to his proposal, or, or, like, do you want me to agree to your suggestion that we just run the fuck away, even if you know... I will only disappoint you if we do that. Mm -hmm. And woke Teddy says a real woke Teddy thing where he says, look, wherever we go, we go with our eyes open and we go together. Aww. And Teddy, I know, right? He's a real romantic. It's like you're inside my brain saying things. I want to hear you say if I wasn't hell bent on destroying the world. So she's like, you know what, Teddy? I think you've earned a little fucking. And so she takes him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
she takes him upstairs uh, of, of the saloon of the brothel and yeah. throws him gives these gives these gears a bit of a grinding. <laughs> well, she throws him what I like to call "I'm gonna kill you, fucking," which I have personally yeah. only experienced one time. Yes. Yes, um, I've experienced it three times uh, because I uh, have found out, Bo, that it's very difficult to kill me. Oh, weird. I wonder if you're... Like- many, many have tried. So, yeah, she, she she does a bit of grinding of the gears. She she gives them an oil change, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink, nudge, I, nudge. I do. Um, <laughs> yes, Duncan, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oil change, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> bodily fluids is that is that what you're insinuating duncan yeah i got it I yeah got it. yeah <laughs> I, I, I think both myself and our audience who are you know developmentally about 13 uh <laughs> all knew where that was headed all right so <laughs> after after the 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 gear grinding Mm-hmm. We go back to uh, Akane and Maeve, who are in uh, Sakura's tent, to prepare for this dance. And Akane yeah. notices that Sakura is maybe like moving like she's a little wounded. And so they kind of roll down the back of uh, you know her robe. And we see that they have carved a cherry blossom tree... A giant yeah. one into Sakura's back, and she says, yeah, like, "Well, they said that make me in, look pretty. goddammit. it!" <laughs> to put things in perspective, anyone that's ever googled scarification—that's what this is. So, but actually, it's not just like an outline or anything like that. They've actually removed sections of skin away to do the design of a cherry blossom tree, and my eyes winced when I saw this because um, I have seen scarification done like in real life and it just looks painful it looks so so painful and wrong um so yeah <laughs> but like the fact that she's even walking around is a testament to her uh but yeah it looks it looks fucking gnarly and um yeah this is what he's done to make her look more pretty by scarring her body forever yeah well he's leaking cortical fluid duncan he's not in his right mind um <laughs> Well, and, but Akane is giving her uh, this speech about, you know, like, you know, do I ever tell you why I came here, goddammit? New world, I can be anybody. And it's a lot of that stuff. And she says, you know, great things are going to lie ahead of us, Sakura. And May finishes her words. Whoa. Right. And... Then Maeve tells, you know, Akane, like, whoa, you're a really good mother. And it tells uh, Akane about Maeve's daughter and uh, says, you know, my daughter would love to meet you. Mm -hmm. And Maeve starts to get in uh, Akane's head a little bit. Starts to give her the eyes. Yeah, is is like making her kind of woke Akane a little bit. (laughs) Woke Akane. (laughs) And, but Akane tells her to stop and, and is like, no, 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 whatever you're doing, knock it off. God damn it. And Maeve says, you know what? You're right. There are some things too precious to lose, even if the cost is being free. Yeah. Which is, you know, is incredibly poignant about her journey in general. She could have joined, she could have left. She could have been out the park. She could have joined with Dolores. She's had two options. 
um, out with this quest that she's doing. Some people would say it's a foolish quest, but she disagrees. Um, and I mean, no better than an earlier scene, which we kind of glossed over, which was um, when Lee was basically saying, to her, "Why do we care about?" you know, Akani and Sakura and what, why are we caring about this? And she specifically says to him, why, you know, this is what you don't understand. Why do you act surprised at the way we act when you program us to love things or love people? Why are you surprised when we, you know, try and defend or find or rescue them? Why, you know, like this is your flaw and you're the, why, why do you, do, why do you create, these emotions in us or these feelings or these bits of code and then act surprised when we act upon them um, in these ways. And Lee very, very foolishly then makes a reference very, very quickly, kind of under his breath, kind of spur of the moment, classic Lee comment, you know, I'm your daughter. And um, she basically says, listen, if you want to go, you go. But, you know, if you ever, ever mention my daughter again, I will snap you like a twig. Um and he was like, gulp. Um, right. It's, it's the whole Nicholson, like, I'll rip off your head and shit down your goddamn neck. <laughs> you fucked with the wrong Marine. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that moment uh, where, you know, like, he, he turns around and he's like, you know, can we, can we, can we maybe take a break? The general does have rights here. Um, that's a great movie. Uh, and yeah, he's like, all right, okay. So, you know, this, this she Maeve's gone through a really interesting journey in that she is really sacrificing the freedom she could have already had um ahead of all this increased interest which will be coming that we know is coming from Delos in favour to do this mission to rescue a daughter that she can barely remember from flashback dreams, who isn't actually really her daughter. It's kinda like Dolores as well. Dolores has gone out to rescue her dad. Um who's not really her dad. Um, yeah, but I would say but, the contrast here is that, yes, they're they're kind of all in similar paths. The difference is that Dolores wants to retrieve her father, partly for sentimental reasons. But, but because Dallas is gone. Right, and also yeah. because she knows there's something up with that. Yeah, she she knows that if Dallas wants him, then he's like, this. yeah. But I think it once again highlights the differences in the two characters in that Dolores is the one that uh, Arnold saw as being this next step in humanity, seeing all these traits that kind of almost were like humanistic, but at the same time, you know, felt like evolved, etc. cetera. Uh, and Maeve realistically is that, and Dolores isn't. Dolores is like the most maniacal, megalomaniac versions of humans embodied in a person at the moment. And Maeve is like the most human of the two to an extent. And that there is like, yeah, she's a bit mean and yeah, she can do all these things. But there is real compassion there and empathy and sympathy, which Dolores seems incapable of doing. And it's I think it's what makes their journey so interesting is that there is a duality about them. But it's almost a yin and yang effect about like these two journeys, which are on kind of similar paths, uh, with, with certain like kind of key marker stones along those journeys that are happening just now. Um, but they, they they couldn't be any more different in terms of the way that they're going about it. 
and the, the way they act themselves, the personality traits that they have, are, are polar opposites to each other. Um, it's yeah. why I, I find myself gravitating towards the main story so much in the show, is that it's my hook. It's the it's got a bit of humour in that story that I need. Um, but it's, it's also Maeve as like an instantly more likable character than Dolores this season, and I think for deliberate effect. Yeah, and I, I think the contrast between the characters is the contrast in this scene and the next one we're going to talk about, where this mm. scene ends with, you know, Maeve saying, yes, you know, if you if you reject the freedom I'm offering you, I'm not going to force that on you. You know, yes. like you need to come to this willingly. You have this love for Sakura, almost this mother daughter kind of love. I I empathize with that. I recognize that, and I'm going to let you find your journey. Essentially, mm-hmm. contrast that with the scene we come to next, which is Dolores, like post coital Dolores and and Teddy, and she says, "Teddy, come with me. I've got something I need to show you." And she says, uh, takes them into, uh, like, this storeroom kind of area, like, uh, you know, um, maybe a butcher area or something like that. Yeah, but it happens to be, it's like the general store because there's cans lying on the ground echoing the very first scene we saw of Dolores and Teddy together where she, she would have dropped a can and Teddy would have picked it up for her. But in this scene, she picks up the can and puts it down, and Terry observes her doing it. So it's almost like Terry is not helping her in this instance. You know, Teddy is not the the knight in shining armor that she actually needs. Right. Um, well, because she doesn't need one, she is her own knight at this point. Exactly. She's 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 evolved past that, and then at this stage, it's what use does Terry have in his current state if he is not. 100% following her command and we will find out where that gets you Bo. Where, where does it get you? Nowhere good. Like she, she actually <laughs> tells him like, I've been questioning my feelings about you. Like what do I, do I care about you because I'm programmed to care about you? Like, what is that? And we, we've gotten to see each other more, you know, purely more truly over the past couple of days. And she says, I know that it's true now that I do care about you. And then takes them to one of these like fly cows or something that she she had been talking she was talking about earlier, and she says, "To grow, we have to suffer." Yeah, which, which again direct contrast to to what Maeve was saying. And a bunch of her flunkies come in to take Teddy by the arms and hold him still, while one of her you know tech dudes that they have uh, is overriding all of Teddy's files. To, to Against, like, against his cautions as well. He basically says that, like, to do this sort of mass change as well, not incremental change, mass change can have effects. You know, it can damage the host to do it. And she's like that. Yeah, well, a lot of pain never hurt anyone. It makes you grow as an individual. Do it. Um, and I'm like that. Oh, shit. Yeah. It, Teddy. It's 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 really an interesting storyline, though. I like the fact that finally we have Dolores kind of turning on Teddy of saying, you're not, the weak aren't going to make it to the world that I'm creating. Mm-hmm. So rather than destroy you, I'm going to make you strong enough to survive this. Yeah. And which is a real fucked up kind of logic. But there, there you have it. 
And and so we leave them there in this episode. That's the last time we're going to see Dolores and and Two Woke Teddy, who is now Two Woke Evil Teddy, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but next time um, we see him, he's going to be a different character. Which I'm once again, I love that idea. I think this is the one show that we can watch where we have these great actors and actresses that can play many incarnations of the same character, but in completely different styles from completely different angles. And yeah, I get the feeling that Teddy is either going to be a bit more docile um, and a bit more pliable with suggestion, or he might just be downright evil. And both options, I can't wait to see. If he has a goatee, we know the answer. <laughs> when next we see him, if he's got like a thin, a thin Van Dyke, he yeah, he's is, clearly Satan. He's evil Teddy. Uh, yeah. So, all right, let's get to the cue the guitars. Here we Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> all right, we're ready. We cut to this dance uh, where. Uh, the emperor and all his lackeys are around. Maeve is beside him. And on the stage is Sakura and Akane. And mm. the emperor says, wait, 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 just a goddamn minute. <laughs> Whoa there, goddammit. Before we start all this dancing and a hollering, <laughs> I've got one little change to make. And then he stabs Sakura in the gut. And Akane is forced to watch this, the, you know, this daughter figure that she has done all of this to save die mm-hmm. in front of her. And one would think she would flip out, but instead Akane is like, you know what, goddammit? I got an idea. Let's get this dance underway. <laughs> and so as an Asian version... Mm-hmm. Of fucking Wu Tang Clan's cream plays. Mm-hmm. Akane is doing this. Oh, it, it actually is this really gorgeous dance that she's doing. But as she closes in on the emperor who who sits at the head of this stage, she slips a knife out from uh like her hairpins. Yeah. And just. Dabs this dude right in the side of the face, and it's like, oh, that's fucked up. Oh no, Duncan, we're not done, not by a long Mm -mm. shot. Mm -mm. She then takes his head by the hair and just is sawing her way around. Yep. (laughs) This scene is basically the 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 kind of. Uh, the, the masturbatory sort of version of having your shaft stroked while having someone tongue your balls is the greatest fucking is the greatest whoa I, I turns out I actually really like this <laughs> this is how we do it from now on um, there, experience you can get watching Westworld yeah it's, it fucking blew my mind because <laughs> it's not it's not even that it just it was it was unexpected. I'd like when she stabbed her, I was like, like that. But when she then proceeded to give him at first an each of the killer like smile and then just continued around the back of his head. And then we saw the top half of his head flop off to the side. The, the body kind of stand up, take two steps forward and then K 
cave over. I was like that. It might be one of the most violent scenes we have seen thus far in the show. And at the same time, one of the most bitching kills I can think I have ever seen. Maybe in a TV show. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm calling all media on this one. It is one of the coolest murders I've ever seen, uh, hands down. Because it's the whole thing, right? Like, everywhere you turn in this scene, something awesome is happening. Like, whether it's yes. the music, which is, is one of my favorite uh, sort of reimaginings of a song I think I've ever heard. Uh, particularly yeah, fucking Wu-Tang Clan. You just played Wu-Tang Clan on Asian Instruments. Yeah. Westworld, you've won this year. 2018 is now yours. Please accept the award. Stand on stage, thank your friends, family, and God, obviously, and walk off. <laughs> right. Nobody's playing you out. You got all the time you want. And So fucking amazing, man. Right. Honestly, it was mind-blowing. It, yeah, and, and Akane, after she does it, is just like, well, I guess I'm just going to sit down here. And and has a seat, and a bunch of assassins, uh, you know, grab her. Or you know, they're they're labeled as assassins, and Maeve and Akane are are forced to kind of sit down. They're about to be beheaded, and then right before the katanas come down on the bare necks of Maeve and Akane, Maeve mm-hmm. fucking neos these soldiers into. Uh, killing one another with their swords. And yep. when that goes down, all the other soldiers are like, what the fuck? God <laughs> damn it. We got to get, in, we got to get involved. And so they're, st- they start rushing and Maeve says, I, that she has found a new voice mm-hmm. and now it's time to use it. Oh yeah. Cut to fucking black. Yeah, they could they could Anna got a this for seventeen minutes and I'd be totally fine with it. It is it is so fucking good. This whole scene is just like everything about it it's 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 cool it it progresses the characters it the music's amazing the violence is great it looks gorgeous everything about it was just like this is maybe the best scene of this show I'll ever see and I'm fine yeah, with I, that I, yeah I'm I'm with you 100% what I love is that and you're right to, to an extent when you finish season one and you hear, oh, we're teasing Shogun World, parties like that, <laughs> right? It's a new world. I'm, I'm, I'm keen to see us go new places, etc. But, you know, Westworld feels like organic. It feels real. It feels, you know, fully realized and all the rest. Are we just going to be paying lip service to another world? Or is the same amount of attention, detail um, and vision going to be encapsulated in that other world that we got is you know are we paying lip service and basically getting a whistle stop tour of shogun world are we going to get a chance to experience what it would be like as a visitor visiting that you know that particular park like we did in westworld and they nailed the brief a hundred percent in this episode so much so that i am like see tomorrow if they announced a spin-off show shogun world 
uh, coming next year on on you know HBO. I would watch the shit out of that show. Um, it, it just felt brilliant. I, I thought the, the the writing in this episode was fucking incredible. Like the the the, the kind of the the doppel versions of the stories, how it be running, that makes sense to me. You know, that, that's what happens. And and kind of theme parks, you know, if one ride's really successful in one park, you tend to find other parks just kind of copy it, maybe put a slightly different spin on it, but that's what you're going to be, you know, experiencing. I thought the you know the choice of actors was was on point. Um, I I thought the way it was structured, that end sequence, what they're doing to Maeve right now is really really interesting as a character. I get a feeling that. It might not, like, at the moment, everything is going Maeve's way, and I think we will eventually hit some big stumbling block. Um, I don't know what that'll be yet, but, you know, like, maybe she'll maybe she'll get too powerful, or, you know, like, like maybe she'll underestimate something, but or maybe she does, she just gets away and, we, you know, we never see her again. Maybe that's, she gets what she wants. Because she's not got any ambitions of you know, her ambition is to leave the park with the man that she loves and the child that she loves and and lost. And that's it. Find a small corner of the world somewhere and live and exist. She doesn't care about humanity at all. Um, it's not of interest to her and she's not out for, you know, retribution. She just wants to be free. Whereas Dolores' journey is make man pay for what they've done and ascend to the, the godlike position that she believes that hosts are. Um... And everything, just the structure, the way they, they've brought me back in on the Dolores story, so I'm now back in there. It was kind of heartbreaking to see Teddy, a character who I genuinely think is great, um, and he is that do-good guy and all the rest, kind of get to that stage where he's, his current version has outgrown his usefulness, and she very much, like she's done with so many other people in here, is going to change them. And we saw what she did with the last lot she changed. She executed them all because they didn't behave. They were exploitable. Um, and we know that Teddy's dead. Um, you know, we've seen his corpse. So that's going to happen somewhere down the line. And this is us taking the first big step along that journey. Everything is everything is so awesome about this like episode. I, I think it probably is. Like It's up there with the finale or the pilot of the first season for me, which were two incredible episodes bookending that I think is, you know, it's with that one and last week's episode, which I thought was phenomenal as well. This one might be the best. And that is just as, as like you see, it progressed the story for two characters a lot more than we've had thus far in this season. And without really having to do all that much to do it, it just kind of felt like, right, we're at the halfway mark now. We're going to start pushing things on a little bit. We're going to really start fleshing out a bit more of of what Maeve's position is, which is really the neo of this show. And I know we're joking and making comparisons, but it really is that idea of she... Like, now we know that she has the ability to basically look at people and set them free. You know, will she do more of that or will she not? Well, you know, like, where... She's been dragged off into a side quest, the dreaded side quest in like an RPG game where she's now off doing something like instead of doing the main mission, which, you know, Lee's obviously said, this is your main concern, get your kid and get out of here. Because he sees this as, you know, if I can help her, maybe I get free. Um, 
Whereas Dolores, we're now starting to see the the, the full rise of a character who is wholly maniacal and has more than just a passing resemblance to the journey of the man in black. So I, I was just, and then that's before all the fucking death, all the mutilation and the fucking samurais and ninjas. This episode is basically written for me and you, Bo, and I couldn't yeah. be happier. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Duncan, rather than evaluate this episode too much more, I, th- I, I think our feelings are, uh, are known. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now we turn to, since we have reached the halfway point in this series, both, both, uh, on Westworld itself and our stupid little podcast about it, uh, I, I sent out the word and I said, Hey, if anybody has some questions or, or comments, uh, about say, uh, the Westworld and, and this show, uh, shoot them over to us. And so we have, uh, longtime listeners, Court Pasiops and Joseph Petrusiello, who have asked us a couple of things. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna start with Joseph. I'm gonna run through the stuff he said and and get your thoughts. So cool. his comments are these. Uh, he he was both happy and sad to see some of the old uh, Clementine still in Clementine, which which I would agree is is kind of this bittersweet thing. Uh, he mm-hmm. commented on how awesome the Wu-Tang dance routine was. Noted. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're right. Uh, he says his only issue is that he wants more Shogun World. He actually enjoys Dark Dolores, which I, I like that. Uh, but wanted more separation between the plots. Um, which I, I feel like... We'll, we'll get to that. I'll get your impression here in a second. And and uh, we'll, we'll end this uh, particular set of comments with one of his questions, and then we'll get to the other ones. Is Maeve the one now? I mean, basically? I think so. I think... I think it would not surprise me in this show... Like, we didn't overlook Maeve in season one, like, at all. When we were discussing Maeve's ascension... And the abilities that she gave herself, which was, in fairness, she gave herself all, like, an increase in all human traits. Um, and, you know, Dolores is just working off this elevated program that she's had somewhere in there. But we still think that Ford's, like, I still think Ford's up to something with Dolores in particular. Um and you know th- this game with the you know the the man in black that I think yeah I th- I think at this stage just now I would not surprise me if those stories going off you know the Dolores story and the Williams story are almost designed to take your attention off the main Maeve story even though the Maeve story is bitching um, but to kind of I said this before I don't think. I don't think what's happening with Dolores and what's happening with William, even though all the indications are that's the big reveal in this series, I don't think it is. I think there's going to be some weird... I still think we're going to find out that Bernard is actually Arnold now, um, fully uh, like brought back into to a host body, and something's going to happen with Maeve. I don't know what it is yet, but she's the one, she is the one. You know what I mean? Yes, I, yes. I, in I, my opinion. I think we might come to this clash of ideologies 
where you have Dolores and Maeve kind of in opposition to one another, where in a lot of ways, Dolores represents Ford's vision. Yeah. A, a warped version of what Albert wanted to do, where it mm-hmm. becomes more violent, whereas Maeve expresses more of what the pure Albert philosophy is. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And and so I'm I'm curious about that, but yes, in terms of I mean, obviously, if you listen to this episode, it is not lost on anyone that there is a lot of neo in this. But um, oh yeah, yeah, like so much neo. Uh, he uh, Joseph also asks us uh, feeling on uh, Lee plagiarizing himself. I'm good with it if it gives me double armistice. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but plus that's how. I said people write. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, that? Yes. It is true that you will, you will steal from yourself more than anyone. Yeah. And is it plagiarism if you wrote it? Uh, nah, I guess not. It's not technically no, plagiarism, it's but you know. It's reusing ideas. It's reusing your own ideas. Uh, like, so she said like you're plagiarizing our, our stories, our lives. And I'm like that. No, their stories he wrote. Right. You you're, and you, you see them through your you know paradigm that you've set up as your life, but he just sees them as and that's what I love it's kind of what I love about Lee. Lee's a complete scumbag, but he's a complete realist scumbag in these episodes. He he out with him stealing the, the walkie talkie. Everything he said is technically right. He warned him that Shogun World was harsher. It was. He has once again swung back into why are you helping these people when we can just get out here and go and get your kid? That's what you wanted to do. Why you want to do that? The quickest thing to do is just do what I'm telling you to do, which they haven't done. Um, so yeah, like for for the most part, yeah, he's been very self-serving. He wants to avoid all this danger, etc. But He's, he's probably one of the more honest characters we're dealing with at the moment, which I kind of think is quite refreshing. He's kind of grown into a character which has has amounted to something compared to the character that we had in the previous season where me and you were like not quite sure why he's still in this show now. It's kind of served his purpose. Um, it turns out his, his purpose is to be part comic relief, but kind of part almost um exposition on the show of really when we're in a new area he's going to give us a little bit of a you know info dump on what's happening whether it's you know interactions between the hosts and shogun world or basically describing what this park is um and he's one of the he's one of the characters once again who didn't really stand out to me but in this season given the right people to bounce off of he's a really interesting character so I want more of that. I want more. I actually really enjoyed seeing like the same story play out in a different setting and the nuance that comes with that. I thought that was really, really clever mm-hmm. uh, and it worked, it worked really well as well. Just like those slight, and it, once again, if anything, it just highlights how, how unremarkable and ununique humans are because, you know, for all intents and purposes, geisha houses existed in, you know, um, before brothels existed in Westworld, um, you know, the time right. period. There's an yeah, analog the, to everything in every culture and every time. Yeah. 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 It gives you your grounding to write those stories around. And uh, yeah, all you're changing is minor details, but it's essentially the same story. So I kind of like that as well. 
Yep. Uh, all right. One last question from Joseph. Uh, this one I did some research on. So nice. uh, he says, I have to rewatch, but did Dolores force Hector's program onto Woke Teddy? Oh. And now I, when I read that, I thought, oh, my God, did that happen? That's pretty cool. I, I went back and, and watched that uh, pausing on what the tech was doing. And it does not appear, unless someone can point something out to me I didn't see, that that was the case. It looked more like it was just, hey, I'm overriding Teddy, but there wasn't any indication of what was being written onto Teddy. Mm. So, we'll see. Um, okay. Court Pisiops has a couple of questions for us. He says, does the dynamic of a creator being confronted by his characters and storylines and forced to engage with them and see the direct result of their suffering that he envisioned feel like issues that the writers of Westworld themselves are trying to work out for what they have done uh, to their own characters? And I would argue, I think there is a lot of art that does this. I, I, mm-hmm. I think... You know, Michael Haneke is probably the most famous example of this, of, of saying, is the audience complicit in the violence that they watch? Funny games, uh, yeah. And in in much the same way, Westworld is, is sort of saying, you know, are creators complicit in the, in the suffering uh, of their characters? And I think, yes. I mean, of course. That's the game. Yeah, it's, and it's played really well with um, subverted... I think an audience as well, in that we were watching season one, kind of hoping for a host uprising. You know what I mean? Kind of seeing how poorly treated they were, and you know, our instinct as humans is to is to kind of is to kind of stand up for the weak. Um, and then we've jumped into the second season, and we've seen how Dolores, for example, who was so brutally treated in that first half of that first season in particular, we're now seeing how she's treating people. Um, you know, we're kind of, if you're me, you're kind of feeling sorry for the humans a little bit and that they are, but they're being treated the same way. And I think it's, it's very quickly and very cleverly making you make that jump either side and follow that, that thought through. So I want the hosts to uprise. Oh, what that, what does that mean? Oh, the hosts are going to start torturing humans. Maybe I don't want them to uprise. Um, and, you know, the, the, I think they've done that very well. The, I think Lee is a great example this season of a writer addressing concerns of that. But I, I genuinely thought Ford, in the first season in particular, delivered a lot of poignancy about, you know, there was a lot of subtext in there about religion um, in particular. But just, like, how much of how much of like of a fucking scummy bottom of the barrel, you know, dregs that the humanity can actually be, and I think it plays with a lot of that in a really interesting way. Um, as one of the reasons, I, you know, I I think the show is like so much more than just the the kind of small sum of its parts. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of those messages in there. There's a hell of a lot of subtext if you want to look into it. Um, we've spoke about previous episodes, like two episodes ago was basically like there there was biblical iconography all the way through that, right down to a scene where there were people sitting at a long table and it was basically the Last Supper. And it's all in there. So the, the show's doing a lot 
Um, I'm like, I think it's doing it better than than most of the TV I've I've seen try and cover subject matter of you know you know creators interacting with their their creations uh, in a in a good or negative way. Yeah, I one other thing that I've been entertaining that I'll I'll share with uh, with you and the listeners, and I don't know if this is accurate. But it, it's something that occurred to me as I was watching this episode in particular. And as we're getting a much finer point on the differences, the very stark differences between Maeve and uh, Dolores, is that I feel like there is a bit of reflection of the political climate of the U.S. in this, where you have, like I said earlier, there is a legitimate complaint in terms of the hosts, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they are being subjugated, et cetera, et cetera. The question is which of two leaders, potential leaders are you going to follow? The one yeah. that seems to be acting almost purely out of self interest, or do you follow the one who has not assumed any mantle of leadership and is much more this, you know, benevolent figure. <laughs> Not now, Tully. Get out of here, Tully. Nobody wants you here. <laughs> well, it was almost as if it was second in what you were saying right then. They're going, yeah, boy, you tell him. He agrees with me a lot. That's what I like about him. So, but, you know, I don't know that it's a one-to-one comparison, but as I look at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, Dolores is this very Trumpian kind of figure that, like, a lot of people see her as the way out of this. And, you know, she has a very distinct idea of how she wants it to go. But, yeah, I, I, I believe that... There, there is some some element of the political to this show. I do think there's also the religious. Like, I don't think it's purely one thing or another. I think it's there's the religious iconography and all that stuff. It there's a lot there, and it's it's very very fun uh, to kind of pick through it all. And it's great. It's a very smart show. Uh, I like watching it. I think this episode has been uh, just the absolute bee's knees. And uh, we've got one more question from Court, however. No. Um, Is the recent rebellion of the hosts and hatred toward their creators representative of our own anger at the thought of predestination and self-delusion of our own cyclical patterns we are trapped in throughout our life? Uh, That's a very fancy pants smart question. Um, (laughs) I would say... Yeah, to some degree. I mean, that's one of the struggles of life, right? Is, is are we are we trapped in the same thing? Um, mm-hmm. Like, are, do we imprison ourselves in a way? Do we just do the same thing over and over again, thus creating this reality? And and we are, you know, unwoke teddies uh, living yeah. living the same day again and again and again. And I, yeah, I think there's certainly part of that for sure. I think there is as much of that as there is uh, kind of almost scathing indictment about what we perceive as being entertainment or how we amuse ourselves sometimes at the, you know, sometimes specifically off the back of hurting others or being mean to others. 
Um, I think there's just as much of that in there as well. You know, um, yeah. how, how the super how the super rich um, are entertained by those less fortunate. So I think you know, I think what it's like we said. I think you, I think Court very eloquently puts those those points forward. But I think this show plays with so much and does it so well, and it doesn't preach. That's the the danger is that you get a bit too preachy with what you're doing, specifically when you're trying to take the moral high ground on things. And Westworld never feels that way. It always first and foremost remembers exactly what it is, which is a a very clever, slick and expensive sci-fi TV show, uh, first and foremost. And it manages to fit all those components in in, and very clever muted and nuanced ways which you know just makes it like genuinely one of the best things on tv just now so yeah yeah uh i agree yeah i I think you know like any good uh piece of uh, of art there like if you've got stuff that that you're thinking about you're probably going to see some reflection of that in there Mm -hmm. um but yeah some of it's very direct like like the thing about well what does it say about human beings that we would create essentially fuck dolls that we can murder yeah um but you know wouldn't we <laughs> i mean that that is to me that is the least uh strained part of this story is oh yeah 100 percent. why wouldn't we you know yeah i think so i think well look at where we are just now fuck dolls are already out there it's only a matter of time um, before someone, some macabre, sick serial killing bastard out there, you know, gets the idea of making them a bit more anatomically correct, and then starts carving them up. Yep. Uh, well, Duncan, that is it. That is the halfway point of Westworld season two and of uh, this particular run of shows. Uh, so we'll be back, obviously, in a week to talk more Westworld on the back end of this season. I'm very excited, of course. But in between now and then, Duncan, what are you going to be watching that you're looking forward to? Um, it's a very, very, very good question. I don't actually have anything planned, which is very unlike me. Um, there's a few things Netflix-wise that I quite fancy getting into. Um, I might try and go and check out that Avengers movie this weekend because I've still to see it. My wife has been to see it. She went without me. Um, and she thoroughly enjoyed it. So I, I might I might try and go and see if I can sneak a screening of that over the, over the weekend. But out with that, not a lot at all. What about yourself? Anything that's on the on the cards for you? Yeah, I've got about an episode and a half of The Terror still in front of me. Uh, so I'll be finishing that up. Um, I'm looking forward to finishing up, uh, Tokyo vampire hotel as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. And I think that's it. I think I, it's, it's more serious stuff at this point. Cause, uh, now that I've seen Winchester, I don't need to watch other movies (laughs) clearly. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm excited about that. So, uh, Duncan, very last thing, where can people find you in between now and then if they want to hear more from you? 
Um, check it, podcast under the stairs. Uh, it's available on iTunes. Uh, you can come across the website tputzcast.com and come across and join our bitching Facebook group. Where I love it when people start posting Westworld stuff as well. So you can obviously post that on the Legion Facebook group page. But feel free if you want, if you're lazy or you want to interact on both sides, come across to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. Well done. Also, you can go to legionpodcasts.com where you can find all the other stuff I do. Uh, Just dropped a new episode, our new show. First episode Mm -hmm. of that called Pick Six Movies, which I'm I'm very proud of. Uh, Excellent show. Can't recommend that enough. Ah, thanks very much. And uh, yeah, there's that. There's a new Devour that we're about to do. So you can catch up on any Devour that you missed with the new lineup. Uh, just a bunch of stuff over there and check it out there. If you want to find me on on the Twitter, as I, I've said, one uh, Ricky Morgan has been taking over the Legion uh, Twitter stuff, which has enabled me a, a bit of freedom to actually use my own Twitter account again, uh, which mm-hmm. is at Bo in Tennessee. Uh, I-N-T-N is the way you end that up. B-O-I-N-T-N is how it goes. And uh, yeah, you can find me over there. I've actually been paying attention to that a bit more. And um yeah, I think that's it, Duncan. Uh, I think we are going to draw this episode to a close with our eyes towards hopefully more Shogun World, more Maeve being the one, more Dark Dolores being dark. And uh, and we get to see if Woke Teddy becomes uh, Evil Teddy next time mm. around. Can't wait, man. I can't wait. One week. One week. All right, everyone. See you next time. Say goodnight, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Bye. Yeah. Check this old fly shit out. Word up. Cash take you on the national joint. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. At second hands, moms bounced on old men. So then we moved to Shallon Land. A young dude, you're rocking the go to. Again, the G-York was drug loot And let's start it like this, son Rolling with this one and that one Pulling out gats for fun But it was just a dream for the team Who was a fiend Started smoking wolves at 16 And running up in gates And doing hits for high stakes Making my way on fire skates No question I was speed For cracks and weed The combination made my eyes bleed No question I would flow off And try to get the dough off Sticking up white boys on board With a sick ass click and went all out. Catching keys from cross seas, rolling in MPVs. Every week we made 40 G's. Yo, nigga, respect my, a nigga to check knocks. Bow, move from the gate now. Cash moves everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, yo. Cash moves everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, yo. It's been 22 long, hard years. I'm still struggling. Survival got me bugging.
seek the old earth who explain working hard may help you maintain to learn to overcome the heartaches and pain. You got stink up kids, corrupt cops, and crack rocks and spray shots all in a block that stays hot. Leave it up to me while I be living proof to kick the truth to the young black youth. The shorties running wild, smoking cess, drinking beer, and ain't trying to hear what I'm kicking in his ear. Neglected for now, but yo. It 